the earth has closed. Hello and welcome to episode 126 of the Age Darkest Podcast. Don't forget to like us on Facebook, subscribe to us on iTunes, uh, follow us on SoundCloud. Uh, if you have any social medias, we're probably on it. Try to find us. It'd be great. Uh, and if you want to reach out to us, uh, you can send us an email at ageofdarkestpodcast at gmail.com. Oh, and if you need any uh, t-shirts, you can uh, hit us up at uh, Age of Darkest Podcast at Big Cartel. Darren, today, what do you have for us in, are we calling it the Strategium? Do we decide? I, I think the feedback we had with Strategium, I, I still object on this pushing plastic in my head, but we'll go with Strategium because, you know, we are a democracy after all, unlike the Imperium. Wait, um, hold on. Okay, let's, we were three people. That means that we have to be able to make a choice. I vote Strategium, and because I, I think it works. I think it works well. Uh, you vote Pushing Plastic, which is also great, and I'm torn, to, uh, to be honest. Miles? I get the deciding vote. Yeah. I've What's never right? had this much power in my life. Oh, my God. Don't let it okay. go to your head. So, like the Council of Nikea, I abstain from a vote. Oh, God damn it. But our listeners have been in touch. Our listeners have cast, I guess, the deciding ballot. They prefer the Strategium. But All like right. Magnus and the Council of Nikea, I'm going to ignore that and just carry on. So. Do whatever I want. <laughs> <laughs> okay. So, but on the surface, I will carry on looking like I'm following the rules. So in the strategium, cough, pushing plastic, um, we are starting off our V2 articles. And we are going to start looking at our own personal legions. So for Miles, that will be the Blood Angels. For JP, that'll be the Iron Fourth. And for me, the Warmaster's own, the the spear tip specialists, the 16th Legion, the the Sons of Horus. And we're going to look at. No no need to give them such a big. You you just said Blood Angels at fourth, and then you gave. You rattled off like a WWE wrestler's full on titles. All right, all right. It's Warmaster's Legion, mate. Glory and honor. Intercontinental champion, Warmaster's Legion. (laughs) But we are going to be talking in depth about how the rules have changed, how the rules have adapted, and we're going to spend quite a bit of time talking about Horus Ascended, the monster that he has become. Yeah, fair play. Excellent. In Painting Black and Other Colors, Miles, what do you have for us? Uh, I'm going to be so indulgent here. Um, it will indulgent way. So um, Darren posts up a few pictures today about the World Eaters Legion and how they're moving into a white and red scheme. So I'm going to be covering how you achieve that red and white scheme without an airbrush. Damn you! I'm trying to resist. Just a just a peer pressure. Darren starting the new legion. Thanks, thanks for that, Miles. Oh come on! You can just go to your kids' university fund. (laughs) Yeah, Yeah. (laughs) he doesn't need an education. Exactly. Look what it's done to us. Nobody's got a future. Nobody's got a future. (laughs) (laughs) Exactly. Live in the now. Um, and in uh, Tales of Heresy to round us off, we'll be continuing our series on uh, the book uh, Old Earth by Nick Keim, talking about some more Vulcan. Uh, it's going to be a lot of Salamanders content going forward because we have a whole other book <laughs> after this. We forgot, about into about? The, we forgot about Into the Flame. Into the Fire. What? There's another one after this. Uh, it's a collection of short stories. Oh, okay. I can deal with that. That's, that's, that's you can right. deal with that? Are you having trouble with Old Earth? I mean, no, great. I really, Born of Flame. I really, Born of Flame. I really enjoy. Things. Really enjoy Old Earth. Right, no, I've right, really right. enjoyed Old Earth. Okay, so before we go into uh, our discussion of the new edition, um, maybe we could talk about some news. 
because there's some really cool stuff. We don't usually do the news. And of course, everybody knows out there, don't come to us for news. Our episodes should come out a little bit later. Um, but we still like to talk about some cool stuff. Everybody has their books except for myself and uh, Darren, I guess. Well, Darren, you have your heretical. Uh, I've got book. a Libra books. I have a Libra books. I'm, I'm waiting for the rule book to be released, which looks like it's coming up. Um, well, probably by the time you receive this, uh, it would be out. Hope and, and I, we have, we've been chatting between ourselves about the limited edition and the, the black book style that they've gone for. And Miles, you're a little bit unsure about investing in it. I'm, I'm tempted to invest in it. Yeah, it's a bit of a weird one, right? So when I saw it, I thought, oh my God, the black books, they're still here, they're still here. But sitting here holding Lieber Hereticus, it's a very different style. It's a very different presentation. We've been talking about how this edition feels like a nice, clean break away from 1.0. Whereas the black book spined edition, they do, I mean, it's, it, it's exactly like 1.0. And with the increased regular, I can't believe I'm complaining about this, but with the increased regularity, yeah, I feel like a dumbass saying this. Uh, with increased regularity of the books coming out, I'm not sure whether I want to get on that merry-go-round. That once I start buying one limited edition book, the pressure is to buy all of them, and I think we're looking at a release schedule of like one book per three months ish. It's looking like it, isn't it? Because we've had a roadmap. Uh, yeah, that roadmap is looking quite comprehensive up until November. With some really interesting bits on it as well. Yeah. Might, might I make a, a counterpoint before, maybe we could talk about the roadmap in a second, but a counterpoint to, yeah, obviously I'm intrigued about, okay. So they announced that uh, the, the age of darkness rule book, uh, the main rule book will have a release that makes it look pretty much exactly, looks exactly like the, the black books we've come to know and love and spend our disposable income on. But did you notice that they didn't announce that either of the other two books that came out, um, that they're going to be getting special editions. I think this might be, I don't know. And perhaps it's one of those things that depends on sales, but th- this might be sort of the 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 last of the black books. This might be the one. Because if you're going to start putting out all the books that uh, they're producing for Horse Heresy in the old black black book format, I would have, I would have imagined that Hereticus and, and uh, Astartes would have been, uh, also announced, and they only announced the rule book. I have a feeling they might not be actually doing this, and this might be sort of a last hurrah kind of thing for the black book. Because so we I know they've had problems with it. Can I interject there as a Please. counter counterpoint? It's very simple tonight. Um, so with the Libra Hereticus and the Libra Astarte, I think these are standalone books to get you started, and I believe that they will be printing individual books. So you'll get a Blood Angel book, a Sons of Horus book. And I get the feeling they might be in the... I think these books that we have at the moment, they're very much like the Necromunda books that came out in the first cycle, where a lot of books were produced quickly, then invalidated. Uh, I'm not saying quickly at all, because it'll take a long time for them to produce all these individual books. Um, But that could be the case. That's why they didn't want to go with a full-on plush Liber Hereticus, whereas the rule book is going to be in circulation for a long, long time. So are you saying that this is sort of like the old black pamphlet, uh, uh, um, the, the, the pamphlet that came with third edition when they made the transition from second edition to third edition? They like have this, little, this, this codex book, which had pretty much every unit that Games Workshop produced, every army, and it was sort of a get-you-by list until the codex started coming out. I, yeah, don't, think they... get, I don't think it's get-you-by. <clears throat> the Necromunda model is a good one to look at mm. um, in that it's everything's together in one place to start with. 
and then you'll start having your specialty books for certain agents. You may find, I I personally think they're going to go more down a um, Titanicus model with it, where you're going to have two or three legions or two or three forces in a book, which will then introduce extra units and so on. I think they'd be more like campaign books, and then we'll get more missions. I think it's a blend of the Titanicus from Necromunda models we've seen previously, which specialist games knows works and people invest in. And I think it's very much sales dependent, right? Oh, yeah. Uh, seeing the volume this Horus Heresy is selling, I can very much see them producing campaign books, so like an armature book, and then alongside it releasing Iron Warriors, Iron Hands, or, or associated uh, forces com- in that campaign as standalone books. But I think it's all sales dependent, and we are just throwing darts in the dark here. We have yeah. no information. We have no idea. We're just this is pure well, speculation. No. We we do have some idea for the next few months, which leads us back to a roadmap, doesn't it? Yes. Let's talk about it. So we know from that roadmap we are going to be getting new plastic kits every month until at least October, November time, which is exciting because we've seen quite a few already. But if they're planning number of kits up until what the next three, what the next three months, four months, five months, um, there's clearly a lot of stuff that we haven't yet seen. So we know Warcom are carrying on doing Heresy Thursday and previewing new kits. Um, those some of those things could be resin upgrades. So for example, the Dark Agent of a Dark Angel upgrade has been shown off this week. In terms of sheer number of models we're getting, we know we're going to get a large number being thrown at us, which is exciting. We know mm. also what the next two army books are. So we've got the Mechanicum book, which includes Night Households. Um, no reference to Dark Mechanicum in there, which is interesting by itself. And then we have a Neutral Armies book. Now, this one really intrigues me because the Militia is being moved to a PDF, which is going to be available within the next few weeks. So the only kind of neutral army I can immediately think of are Solar Auxilia. But that's not going to take an entire army book. So what else is going to be in that in that book which is coming in? <laughs> I think it's about October time. Perhaps it's a small book. Could be. It could be a lot smaller than the Astartes, but are they yeah. just going to release Solar Ox as one book? As, as um, one maybe night okay so you could have Knights Errant um but no the neutral Black Shields. forces they're neutral force. Good oh, shout. Might be, yeah. Yes. I think Agents Black of the War Master. Agents of the War Master. Uh, you might make the night night errands like Agents of the War Master, Agents of the Emperor. Yeah. Uh, assassins, maybe? Could be. I think Black Shields is a good shout. Yeah. I think yeah, that, I, I would think, think they're they're gonna update everything that's in the, the old books. I don't I don't see them getting rid of any like factions. So if Black Shields go anywhere, that would be where they would go. Yeah. I think that that that's good. The Mechanicum one, I think, coming out quite early is positive because we know there's a lot of people with Mechanicum armies. There's less people with Black Shields. Sorry, Alex. Um, and there's less people <laughs> with Solar Ox armies. But it also raises that interesting question of if we get in a Mechanicum book this early, are there going to be plastic kits for Oh, Mechanicum? my God, please. Yes. But, you know, let, let's kind of save that speculation until we, we get a bit closer to the Mechanicum release. I think the interesting bit that I've already mentioned once already is Militia are going to a free PDF and so are Demons of a Runestorm. And what's also interesting is we've had no mention of Custodes yet or Talons of the Emperor. 
they're definitely going to do a book with the emperor. They're going to do an, an, em- an emperor model. Yeah, definitely. Hundred. That's I have inside. They did do Horus Ascendant, which means that the yeah, I'd be surprised they didn't. But the point is, there's people out there with custodies armies that currently have no idea when they're going to get their rules. <clears throat> Miles, whip out the world's tiniest violin. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, uh, what about um, things like Warhounds and Warlord Titans? Do you think that would be that's in the mechanic book? That's all in the mechanic book, yeah, because we've, oh, we've seen a content page for it. So if that's where we're going to have the, you know, the standard mechanic stuff or the Automite, uh, for example, the Thralls. Uh, but that's also where the Titans are going, The night, all the Knight household rules are going in there as well. But Scoria is missing? No, they're not. They're under the oh. Persona. There, there's an appendix which has got uh, all the okay. special Persona in. Because that was one of the questions raised on one of the Facebook groups with yeah. um, to the the Fortral team, and they did confirm that those are under that persona section. Cool. So yes, the, the Primark Killer is still in there, much to everyone's joy and excitement. Yeah, Horus doesn't care. Horus Ascended doesn't care about anything. Horus Ascended doesn't not at all. It's just like, well, really? Who are you? No, have world breaking the face. But yeah, <laughs> what do you guys think about the militia list and the demons list going to PDF? Because obviously, JP, you're heavily invested in the militia. Well, yeah, boy, I've been heavily invested in militia since 1993. Uh, <laughs> you remember? I think I've, I've told you guys this before, uh, before when we were at the Warhammer. Uh, uh, sorry, we had the uh, the Horse RC week, uh, weekend or the last one before the pandemic. I was talking to news. Yeah, I was talking to news about about my how much I love the militia. And, are you guys going to do more stuff about militia? This is before he left, obviously. Uh, and I was talking about just be so great. And he, and he told me, it's like, we love the militia list. We, it's fantastic. And we will, uh, as long as you keep buying stuff, like, right. You, so long as it's a profitable line, like we'll keep producing, um, you know, we'll keep producing stuff. And then I kind of look at my army of old Valhallans that I got for Christmas, 1993. Like I haven't bought a single, I barely have anything that that's been purchased in the two thousands in that army. Uh, and I'm like, oh man, we're never going to get an update. <laughs> So I don't really, this is literally a list that was made telling you that you can use any model you want. And so I cannot imagine this being Games Workshop's priority to put out a big lavish uh, release because they're literally telling you in the list, just use whatever. Uh, what I brought to Warhammer, uh, to, sorry, to the to the Weekender obviously was all, you know, plastic Lehman, uh, Lehman Rust tanks and old Valhallens and, and just all GW products. In my army, I have a lot of third party, especially Victoria miniature stuff, but I didn't bring that obviously. But this is literally a list that you can do anything you want with. And um, that flexibility also causes a problem in that it's not, it, it can't imagine being a profitable line. And so it, it coming out at all, I was worried that it might be completely like removed for that exact reason, the, the reason that I mentioned. Uh, and they're not doing that. So um, it, even if it's coming out in a PDF, I'm perfectly happy so long as it stays supported. And I commend uh games workshop and 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 of course uh the horse cersei uh, team right now i commend them for for giving us um that list as far as the demons are concerned this is all gw products even though they do say you can use anything you want um like obviously most people most demon lists i played against two demon lists or i'm no, sorry i was allied with two demon lists in a game yesterday that usually people use games workshop stuff so that is a bit more surprising but that leads me to believe that there might be a retool coming and like an extensive retool because I was having a conversation, we, we we gave like a death knell, sort of like a la- one last hurrah for the last edition yesterday. And I was talking to my buddy about like, and he he, he was he's been playing the demon list for like ever since it came out, and he was telling me it's like, yo, this list doesn't really work. <laughs> like, it's got way too many problems. 
and and it's frustrated to it's it can be frustrating to play because it's hard to like place all your if you have a table full of terrain you can barely place any of your your actual deployment zone and it's frustrating to play against sometimes because sometimes you don't know what the unit is and i think there might be a retool on the way and this might be a get you by kind of thing and maybe in two years we get a proper demon list those are my thoughts yeah i would agree um i think I don't think it's coincidence that the two armies that have the most flexible use of models available to them are going to PDFs, like you say. Um, new squat models going in for militia, for example. We know that's going to be quite a popular option. We've seen people use things like Crypt Horrors and models from the AOS range, Sylvanus models being used for Demon to a Ruinstorm. It's one of the strengths of the list, being able to model it so flexibly, but it's also one of the downsides. So I think it's great. And we know as well, we're also going to get a legacies PDF with missing models. Miles, any ideas what kind of things could appear on that? What what, what are you hoping could appear on that box dread. list? Box dread. That's yeah. what I hope to see. The box dread. Absolutely. I, I haven't just done two for my army warriors, so Mortalis Force. I really hope they're on the legacies list. I really want to be using those in the game. They're great old miniatures, but I don't think they even sell them through Games Workshop anymore, no. Yeah, um, I believe they do. Oh, right. Okay. But, yeah. The basic the basic plastic ones they do, yeah. Oh, cool. I have an old metal one uh, that I bought when I was a kid, uh, the old Blood Angel one. It weighs a ton. I feel like I can attack my opponent. I can cave his head in if I roll badly. Uh, I like that sort of power. Uh, yeah, you stick ones? it in a sock, and then you've got, an <laughs> you've got a meteor hammer. Yeah, there you go. Um, what other units? Uh, maybe Havocs? I don't want to talk about that right now. Too soon? What about the uh, Kestis? Oh, yes. So, yep. yeah, Kestis, um, Medusa. Thund- Thund- uh, the, oh, Thund- Lightning. Yeah, Thunderbolt, Malkador. Thunderbolt, yeah, yeah. Uh, all um, stuff that's going to be in the, the Militia uh, pack that's going to come out soon. Yeah, yeah. I've, I'm quite excited to see what's going to be on that. I'm quite excited to see what, they, what they're going to do. Please with put Rough Riders in it. Is it one big gaping hole in that list was the lack of Rough Riders? Yeah. And give us an option for either um, uh, bikers or or actually horses. That's what I want. Everybody would would, would eat that up. But I don't think Anyone they produce. Uh, they, they, I don't think they produce any models at all. Like for for that, you'd have to eat well, automatically go a third party. You've got the gene stealer cult bikers. Yeah, that's true. Yes, that's true. Bikers, and there is a rumor that there are going to be new Rough Rider kits when we guard codexes. So I mean, one of the um, rumor engine pictures they showed a few months ago looked suspiciously like the old hunting lance. If that is aggro, I'm going to massively invest in those. But that's another issue. That's a future Darren problem. That's a future problem. So, yeah, I, I, I told you, live in the now. Yes, shut up. <laughs> Stop now. Stop enabling me. Um, I think we could all agree it's in a really exciting time. That there's enough out there we still don't know, but the stuff we've got is really good and really enjoyable, which is why we're going to talk about our legions in more depth later in this episode. And off we go with our first segment on Rules V2. And what we're going to do, we're not going to talk about the main rules tonight, we are focusing on our special legions, ones that we've played for many, many a year before diversifying off into other factors. But we are going to be talking about the Iron Warriors with JP, the Blood Angels with Miles, and I'm going to be picking up the Sons of Horus 
we're finishing off on a high on that one, I feel. So what we're not going to do is we're not going to go through every single line of rules that we have done in previous things. This is just a quick overview. And what we will probably do in a future episode is do a deep dive into these legions in much more depth than we're hoping to do with the others. So with that, JP, I'm Warriors. Off we go. All right. We're starting off with the best legion. Um, Sorry. Okay. Oh, you love Did you guys see the thread I put up on the Facebook group? Uh, so we canvassed um, listeners what their like, greatest hits were. Uh, did, did you guys see that? I had a quick glance at it. Did you see the symbol I put next to the Iron Warriors? Yeah, why'd you put the bunny? Why'd you yeah. put the bunny? Because really, the bunny is the world eaters. Is, is, it because, is, is, is it because that the Iron Warriors players are the fluffiest players that we like, like really delve into the lore and make it as uh, fluffy as possible? Is that why? I love the direction you took that. Yes, yes. Let's go with that. Because we are the more uh, the, the 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 most narratively focused of all the Legion players. If by bitter and cynical, <laughs> yes, and also not caring if our plastic models die. Okay, right. so Come on. Let's yeah, let's it. go. Let's go into the Iron Warriors. Okay, so we'll go over this. Um, I'll, I'll mainly be pick, picking out. Again, we won't go through every line of text because um, also we don't want this to be five hours long. Um, but I want to talk about some of the changes and what I think about them. So, uh, first of all, uh, generally speaking, there's, there's been a nerf, like, I don't like using that term, but the iron warriors for a while, we, we could hell, we could hold our heads up high and say that, you know, we had some of the best rules, possibly the best Legion rule of all. And unfortunately we lost that one. So our, old- what did you lose? We lost the the morale rule. And what did that do? Hold on, I'm just gonna. I have my book. I grab my book three just for this exact reason. Sorry, I uh, sorry for the diversion. It's just I there's aren't there aren't any Iron Warrior players in my area, and I, I okay. didn't play them much at events. You don't see them generally that much. So I'll explain. Hold on, I grab my book three off the bookshelf. Uh, I'll explain because um, I don't remember what the fuck it's called. I just know. Explain me an outdated rule, please. Just give me two seconds. Is this something they didn't suffer from morale from shooting? Or? Yeah, that's the one. Oh, uh, okay. I mean, that's, that's, that's all I need. Okay, here we go. Sorry. Okay. So, um, yeah. The, so, Rack and Ruin has been changed. The old version of Rack and Ruin was um, uh, Iron Warriors do not suffer uh, specific a specific text was do not suffer morale checks from shooting attacks and maybe roll uh, and may re-roll failed pinning tests. Um, also had another thing about uh, grenade melt bomb attacks by models with the Legion, uh, Legionis Astartes special rule, get wrecker, um, which is cool. But like the big, the big thing was the morale rule. You could plant a unit like 20 iron wars on an objective and you had to assault them to get them off the objective or kill all of them. They were incredible. It was, it was probably the best Legion rule. Um, I don't know if you guys agree. I don't know of a better one. It's so good. Um, and maybe for good reason, they got rid of it. So now Wreck and Ruin is simply uh, when you make a shooting attack or melee attack targeting model with a Dreadnought, Automata, Vehicle, or Building Unit type, it gains plus one strength of the attack. Still good, but, I, you know. I see what you're saying. And as an Iron Warrior player myself with my own Vitalis Force, I can see it. However, I think you looking at that rule again, new version for Rack and Ruin, it does make the Iron Warriors much better 
against the new dreadnought set profile. You know, we're going to be much more consistent dealing with contemptors. And when we get the Mechanicum book in August um, against Automata, where Astartes have always tended to struggle a little bit against Automata, having plus one strength to all your attacks, now that's shooting and close combat, you're going to be able to deal with those much easier. Things like Laz Cannon, strength 10 against Spartans. Yeah, I, I think so this is a good rule. Good. I, you, I, I you, see where you're coming from. Yeah, it's uh, it's again. This is a good rule. There's nothing really wrong with it. Again, you combine this with because uh, we're going to get a new version of Dominators soon. I, I guess. Um, yeah, like Iron Warrior is going to be great against against Mechanicum, but you know it's not as good as it used to be. But that's fine. You know what? Because I think it was maybe a little overpowered as a rule. It was very very good. That's fine. That's fine. There's things that balance it out in here. But yeah, that's 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 huge. Um, that uh, losing that that ability. Now, as far as uh, well, let's start with their advanced reaction. Uh, Darren, you want to just run us down real quick of what, what an advanced uh, reaction is? So an advanced reaction is um, over and above the core reactions, and they're much more limited. So you can only access an advanced reaction through either a piece of war gear or a special rule. And every legion, we're assuming every army soon, will have an advanced reaction that you can use once per game. And it's meant to uh, epitomize a tactic or a fighting style of that particular legion. And can you do a one sentence or two sentence rundown of a reaction is? I, I think we should like take a little bit of time, not a lot, but a little bit of time to understand these concepts. So a reaction, quite simply, is when an enemy unit does something to you, you can react to that in your phase. So in, or in the opponent's phase, you only have a limited number each turn. It starts with a base of one, goes to a maximum of three, um, and only certain rules or abilities allows you to increase your total of one. Normally things like war gear um, or warlord traits. So for example, in the movement phase, if a opponent's opposing unit advances towards you, you can move directly towards them to close the gap, or you can move directly away from them, for example. So this is one of the big uh, the bigger changes in the new edition. I think it's it's probably one of my favorites because a lot of the old edition, especially when you play big games, a lot of the time you're just kind of sitting around while you know your opponent does his turn, and turn could last a while. So now you actually have a little bit of agency on on the, the opponent's um, uh, turn. Yeah, um, I think Miles is going to talk a bit more about reactions yeah. when it's with Blood Angels because mm. Miles has had a live fire exercise with them. But now, as far as the Iron Warriors' advanced uh, special advanced reaction, it's brutal. It's called <coughs> Bitter Fury. If an enemy shooting, uh, if an enemy unit uh, shoots one of your units. Uh, or, or declares a shooting attack. So after the shooting attack is resolved, so say an enemy uh, unit of, of, of tactical Marines shoots at an Iron Warriors unit of tactical Marines. Um, so you'll do all the, um, the, 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 the shooting unit will, you know, do uh, its roll to hit, roll to wound, um, do its armor saves. But before any damage mitigation, so before any feel no pains uh, and, and before any casualties are removed, um, the Iron Warriors player will be able to do a bitter fury and the unit that's been shot at can now fire all its weapons twice, but they all have gets hot. And if it already has gets hot. So if like a unit of, of 10 support, um, uh, 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 legionaries with uh, plasma, um, which you probably shouldn't shoot uh, at, uh, but they will uh, have, uh, they'll, they'll get gets hot on a one or two. This is, Absolutely brutal. 
Oh, and also you can still use template weapons. Uh, you, it, it can be anything that would shoot indirectly, but you can still fire template weapons at um, using uh, wall, uh, the wall of death rule. That's another new rule, by the way. Uh, uh, Darren, you want to explain that one? I don't know. Wall of death has always been in it. Wall of death has always existed. Yeah, you, it was only used in Overwatch previously. Oh my god! I didn't. So know it's that. In, instead of um, using a template, you just do D three hits. I, I guess it's just never come up. Interesting. Okay, I thought that was a new rule. See, I'm an idiot. I don't know rules. Um, so yeah, this is an an incredible ability. I think it's it, this is so savage. You will lose even more Iron Warriors, but that's the way she goes in the Fourth Legion. Life is cheap. What do you guys think? Not bad, eh? It's not. It's not bad. I think, especially when you combine it. It, partly it depends on the unit that is doing a return fire, especially if it's got things like pinning attacks, which could make a significant difference or force a morale check on the enemy unit. Um, as a lot of these things, this situation is once per turn, it's only once per game, so you've got to use it at the right time. And sometimes it's that judgment of when is the right time, isn't it? Using it with a, a squad of large unit siege tyrants would be a bit terrifying. Yeah, that would be savage. But you know what? That's the great one of the great things about these reaction rules is it makes the opponent think as well. It's like, do I want to fire at these tyrants considering that they haven't used their uh, bitter fury yet? It makes your opponent think. I, I think it, it it creates a lot of dynamism, you know, in in the game in the interaction, which is always fun. More player interaction is always what you're going for. Yeah, it, it, there's a lot more thinking involved. It's not just a case of. I, if I shoot at that unit, I know I can delete it before it does anything now. Yeah, exactly. There's there's a lot more consideration about target priority, target selection, who's going to do what, which we'll see as we go through the other two legions as well. So let's go into the Warlord traits. Now, I was talking about something that disappointed me, but that I get. I get why the morale rule was removed. It, it was really, really maybe too good. Um, so I get that. That's fair. You got to rebalance sometimes. Uh, now, the thing that I love the most... This is, this is a change that makes me so happy. Now, Iron Warriors, Warsmiths don't have to take Shattered Defenses. I don't think I've Shattered Defenses in at least, like, I must have played at least 50, 60 games of the last edition. Like, not as many as most people, but still a lot. I, I don't think, I can't think of a single time I remembered to Shattered Defenses. And any time that I have Shattered Defenses, if any... I definitely never remember to actually use the rule that there was a minus. For those that don't remember, um, in the old edition, Iron Warriors, Warsmiths uh, had to, um, could not roll on the Warlord traits table. They had to take a specific Warlord trait, which was, you know, uh, Shire Defenses. Uh, and that, you get to pick a terrain piece or a building or something like that, and it, it, it gets minus one to its uh, armor. Or no, sorry, it gets minus one to uh, the cover save that it gives. Right? Yeah. Um, I never remembered to do it. Darren, have you ever remembered to shatter defenses? Uh, no, because then because my force is its own so force, yes. it doesn't really come up. However, I think because in the new edition, cover saves have been quite dramatically reduced, haven't they, Miles? Yes, they have. Yeah. So reducing that even further is going to have a much bigger impact in the new edition than it did in the previous. But what I love here is that finally Iron Warriors get their own Warlord traits. So you get a choice of three. The first one is Tyrant of the Apolochron. This is for uh, your um, the Forlorn Hope specialist, right? The guy that's going to uh, 
through aggression. We keep talking about the Iron Warriors being one of the most aggressive and dangerous legions up close because, you know, that's that's how you win a siege. But like that final assault on the fortress, this is uh, this is kind of representing that. So your warlord gains fearless. Amazing. Like that is such an incredible um, uh, uh, tool, especially considering that the Iron Warriors already lost their other uh, morale rule. However, the problem is the Warlord and all the models in its unit has to attempt to shoot like the, the, the closest enemy unit or charge the, uh, the closest enemy unit. And or charge, I should say. Essentially, you always have to go after the closest enemy unit. So it's like the old, what's, what was it called? Rage? Was it Rage? That that made you kind of that you know you could pull people to like off objectives and stuff like that by you by like taking advantage of their rage that they always have to keep trying to charge in a certain direction. I believe so. Yeah, it's it's a bit like the old frenzy in fantasy. Yeah, frenzy. Yeah, you you could you know you could bait people around with a small unit and just keep them out of shooting range, but in in a threat range they had to react to them. But if you're just going towards the objective, I mean this. This for, for a big Death Star, like I, I, I still very much enjoy my big tyrant fuck off Death Star of ten tyrant Terminators, the Primus Medicae, Siege Breaker, and my Praetor. This is pretty perfect. I like this one. This may be what I go with for uh, my uh, personal Warsmith, a Creo Strike, and Tidies. Um, there's another. Uh, uh, there's another uh, thing that they get, this gives you. Uh, you can also uh, make an additional reaction during the opponent's uh, shooting phase. Pretty good. I, again, I really like this. You have to be careful of how you deploy and how you move uh, to make sure that you don't, uh, you know, sort of get like moved uh, in a direction you don't want to go. But I think it's fantastic. The second one is Tyrant of the uh, Dodecathon. This is brutal. And this is kind of a version of Shattered Defenses that is honestly way more useful. Um, so you can nominate a piece of terrain. It can either be a building or a piece of terrain. If it's a piece of terrain that provides a cover save, that cover save is removed and it becomes dangerous uh, terrain, difficult terrain and dangerous terrain. That is a huge improvement and uh, has pretty incredible potential uh, for, for really wrecking uh, an opponent's uh, defensive, uh, defensive strategy. Dangerous terrain is lethal in the new edition. Absolutely lethal. Because if you roll a one, you just die. You don't get any save at all. I think you get an invulnerable save, don't you, Miles? But you don't get any other normal save. Terrain is yeah much deadlier now insofar as that if you're unsure what the characteristic is, it's a six-up invun save. And each oh. type, type of terrain now has its own invulnerable save. So in the most cases, you're getting a five-up. In rare cases, you get four-up. But yeah, for, if you're not sure if something's 25% obscured, it's a, a six-up save. But even then, like removing that five up cover, because that removes the entire cover save and it becomes dangerous terrain. This is incredible. It's a it's a huge improvement to uh, shower defenses. When uh, in do you select that, that do, when, when do you choose that? Do you choose that after deployment or before deployment? After deployment, yeah. So where uh, Darren, you are massive. Sorry, Darren, you are right. Only invulnerable saves must be taken. No armor save, cover save, or damage mitigation roll must uh, can be taken. This is yeah. savage. The more I look it at is. it. Mm. So you you so you choose either where they've got a massive fire base with lots of heavy supports and rapiers yep. in there, or you choose the big section where they've got their tactical squads hidden out of line of sight of your troops that they're going to have to move through. So yeah, you can really ruin someone's day with that, or where an objective is, where one 
you could put it yeah. in a building where one of your objectives. So everyone going in there is going to have a bad sign. Okay, at this point, I just want to draw attention to um, this will start building how I, I think we're going to have a common reaction between all our legions. Like it's disappointment at first, but we're still in the yeah. Heresy 1.0 edition. When we compare these rules to what's actually in the rule book, and you start to see the links and the connections and how it actually plays in game. Yeah, you're starting to see how they've tailored these lists within this new within this new world. Absolutely agreed. Um, again, I, I didn't want to come in negative. I just wanted to point out that yeah, there's a there's a there's a big rule. There's like the the big the big one was removed, but again, I'm not I'm not disappointed. I understand. Or the final uh, ability of the uh, tyrant of the Dodecathon. So Decathon, right? Yeah, Dodecathon. Just like uh, the other one, you can make an additional shooting attack. Uh, sorry, you can make an additional reaction uh, during the opposing player's shooting attack. Or shooting phase, I should say. Excellent. Just excellent. The third warlord trait you can take is Tyrant of the Lysatra. This essentially gives you, gives all your units that are, uh, all your, in- this essentially gives all your infantry units a version of Bitter Fury, right? So you'll be able to roll an additional dice when making uh, any shooting attacks with rapid fire, assault, or heavy weapons, um, so long as they don't have the blast or template special rules. Uh, but they also get gets hot. So you're gonna get more shots off with your with your bolters, but they get they gets hot. You can also also use bitter fury, but it doesn't double with bitter fury. Essentially, you ha- you get your your bitter fury. Your bitter fury will double your shots, but if you use uh, bitter fury alongside tyrant of the Lysandra, you just get one extra die for each for each weapon does that make sense that explain yes, that correctly? I, mm-hmm. I really like this one you said you were going to choose one of the earlier ones for your warlord i'm tempted to pick one you yeah. just mentioned for my warlord for zone mortalis because i just think having that extra shot oh yeah it's so it gets hot well you know casualties you're in iron warriors suck it up i i just like the <laughs> idea of just getting that extra shot particularly when we come on to the shrapnel weapons later I think the combination of the two could be quite interesting. Oh, there's another element uh, too that I forgot about. It's that if if a unit in a uh, an army that's using Tyrant uh, of the Lysatra is target of a shooting attack, it must make a reaction. It could either be a return fire reaction, which is the standard one, which allows you to... Uh, are they Overwatch? No, Overwatch, Overwatch is in the assault phase. Return so full fire BS. is... Okay. Yeah, it, it's... Well, so it's Overwatch. Um, so you can, uh, so you have to do either return fire or bitter fury. If you use bitter fury, you are using up your bitter fury, but it does not cost a reaction point. So you'll probably want to go with return fire unless it's really, really useful to do bitter fury. Bitter fury sounds like you're really saving that one for like a decisive, a decisive phase. I like this one. I think it's rad. I'm still probably going to go just because of the background of my warsmith. I'm probably going to go with uh, tyrant of the Apollochron since he's very like close combat oriented and very um, assault oriented, but all three are fantastic and they're all better than shadow defenses. That is so far my favorite, my favorite change. Uh, So let's go through the rights of war real quick. Hammer Olympia has been completely changed. All uh, Legion tactical squads uh, change fury of the Legion to fury of Olympia. Fury of Olympia is I think better than fury of the Legion. Essentially all attacks that you make with shrapnel bolters and I'll get to the shrapnel weapons in a second. Uh, they're essentially the same as the old edition anyway, but uh, um, except that you have more options for them. But uh, so Fury of the Olympia allows um, all attacks, um, all attacks that you make with shrapnel weapons, you can add an extra, an extra attack. So your shrapnel bolters are going to be firing three shots at rapid fire range. 
And you combine Oof. that, you combine that with Tyrant of the Lysantra, you're firing four shots four at shots. rapid fire range. Paul, it gets hot. <laughs> but, you know, it's, what's it's, casualties in real aim, Warriors? <laughs> life is cheap in the Fourth Legion. So long as well, the what, goal is accomplished, so long as the fortress is breached, any amount of casualties is an acceptable cost. Yeah. So that's, I think, I think that's better than Fury of the Legion. Um, even though I, I think shrapnel weapons do have some negative sides to them, I think this balances it out. But also, don't forget, if you have an apothecary in that unit, you still get your feel no pain. That's true. Yep. Uh, and if you're a tactical squad with an apothecary and you're within uh, six inches of an objective, your feel no pain goes up to four plus. Yeah, that's that's fantastic. So, you know, it's it's worthwhile at that point, isn't it? It's just like, come, come on. Come and take the objective, I dare you. Especially uh, when you've got so few scoring units now. As a bonus for Hammer of Olympia, um, and again, this is this one changed a lot. Um, as a bonus, you also get to re-roll uh, to hit rolls of one when using shrapnel weapons. So you're going to get four shots, and you got to re-roll your ones with your twenty. So, you can, so let's get this right. You get four shots. Four and shots. You can re-roll, and you can re-roll your gets hot. You could re-roll your gets one, yeah. Uh, your gets hot, yeah. Effectively, there you go. So you know, definitely sit on a nice objective and challenge anyone to come at you. That is a lot of bolter rounds. If you have a yeah. mass army with with um, I don't know six uh, twenty man units of tactical marines, this is going to be a lot of dice. Go get like yeah. those big chess X like things of dice. It's like I, I don't Huge care dice. if you have a two plus armor save. Some shots are getting through. Oh yeah, this is this is brutal. And also, all your uh, vehicles, well, most of your vehicles, uh, uh, predators, vindicators, land raiders, including Spartans, ignore, ignore crew shaken and crew stunned. That's yeah, it's always the, fun. the old extra armor, isn't it? Um, as your limitations, the old version of Hammer of Olympia, like most of the, well, the, the old version of Hammer Olympia, all it really did was its big things allowed you uh, allowed you to have an extra uh, heavy sport choice. And you had to take uh, three units of tactical marines. That was the limitation. In this case, you have to have a warsmith. You probably were going to do that anyway. And you cannot deep strike, subterranean assault, or flanking assault. You probably weren't going to do that anyway. Uh, Hammer of Olympia is, I think it's just going to be the standard for Iron Warriors armies. I, I don't, I don't, it's, think a, it's solid, isn't it? I think the best way to describe it, it's solid. There's no massive yeah. downsides, but there's no massive advantages. It enhances what's already there. Um, as for the second Red War, the Iron Fire, Iron Fire hasn't changed that much. It, the same basic idea is there. Legion Aquator uh, squadrons can be selected as non-compulsory troops. That is fantastic. You get uh, tons of artillery. When you fire your barrage weapons within 12 inches of a friendly unit, you only roll D6 to scatter instead of 2D6, which is fantastic. Again, they, they don't use they don't use the term Iron Fire counters anymore, so I guess, uh, but uh, nonetheless, if you have an infantry unit that is within 12 inches of the final target point of a barrage um, against stu a stubborn in the next turn, which is great. Very similar to what Iron Fire used to do. Although I think it gave you fearless, didn't it? Um, I, I can't remember. The stubborn when new addition is pretty good because leadership values on the whole are lower. Yeah. So being able to keep your leadership value as it is, is very, very strong. And finally, any uh, all your infantry units are going to be re-rolling uh, saves against blast weapons. Which is always useful. Uh, well, yeah, it, it it almost gives them the advantage of the heavy trait without having disadvantages. Yeah, 
Um, so once again, you won't be able to deep strike uh, subterranean assault or flanking assault. Um, you must include uh, more squadrons of aqua aquators, uh, basilisks, or medusas than you have cavalry. Again, that's not really a big negative because you, you're probably doing that anyway. And um, you must include a siege breaker. Again, you're probably doing that anyway. Again, the limitations in these right of wars. I don't know if it's the case in your legions, and I look forward to uh, to hearing um, your thoughts on them. But none of these seem like like real limitations. No, I think the Iron Warriors ones have been pretty fair. They keep in with the the narrative of Legion, don't they? They they seem to fit what goes in. Um, I can understand why they've limited the number of artillery compared to cavalry, because one of the old Iron Warriors, uh, or the old, um, oh, what's the right, Walker Iron Fire techniques was throw up a quick fast-moving unit of bikes or speeders so you can get the Iron Fire tokens further yeah, on the board a lot quicker. Point. So I think they've reacted to how people used to play that to make it a little bit fairer. Destroyers. And, Do it with destroyers. Yeah. Jump packs. But also, going back to re-rolling blasts saves, don't forget a lot of the uh, artillery blast weapons have dropped in their AP or increased or dropped in their AP. So then there's not much AP3 blasts out there anymore. So that yeah. re-rolled in your save, you're more likely to be able to do it, which means you are now more likely to save your troops. So it, it's a bit like Miles was saying earlier, it's those interactions across various rooms where we see the strengths of legions coming out. Oh, absolutely agreed. Now let's move on to the uh, to their weapons. Uh, first of all, uh, the Warsmith hasn't changed very much. It's still an upgrade. It's cheaper now. It's only 20 points at 35. And... Huge difference. You don't have to buy the Cortex controller separately anymore. It just comes just comes with the Warsmith. So you're saving a lot of points. Actually, he winds up being 50 points cheaper. Which is a lot. Sorry, 50 points. Uh, sorry, 30 points cheaper. So he's 20 points out of 50 points uh, if you had given him the Cortex controller before. So that's great. That'll save uh, that'll save some points. Now, there's also a uh, there's also a bunch of new Graviton weapons, which are super fun. Um, Graviton Mace, Graviton Crusher, and Graviton Maul. The Mace is an upgrade from uh, from standard power weapons. All of them are essentially giving you haywire, but less bonuses to your weapons, uh, less bonuses to uh, to your strength. So normally a, a, a power Maul would give you plus one strength at AP four. The Graviton Mace is going to be strength user, AP three, uh, melee haywire. Uh, the Graviton Crusher, which essentially replaces a Thunder Hammer, um, it's going to be strength plus two instead of double strength, but still AP two, uh, still melee unwieldy, uh, two-handed, but gives you haywire and the Graviton Maul. That's going to go on your dread, uh, gives you plus two strength, AP two, melee haywire, and also brutal two. Um, so it does additional damage. So what explain so brutal real quick because we haven't gone over it. Yeah. So Miles, if I'm right, the number in references is the additional damage you do. So in that, so in this case, a graviton Maul will do three points of damage in a single hit. Am I right about that, or is it just you do the damage in the parenthesis? Uh, yes, it's um, it, it, it's the damage in the parenthesis. So if you attack a Justarian, for example, and one uh, wound is inflicted, they take two wounds. So brutal two, two wounds are inflicted. Yeah, which is that that's huge, isn't it? Especially now we've got so many two wound models in the game. So like all terminators, all veterans yeah. and have two wounds only. So having brutal two God, yes. That that's gonna make a massive difference. And against vehicles, that means you're doing does it mean you're doing two hull damage against vehicles as well, Miles? Or is that only wounds? I 
don't know. It didn't come up. Let me just check through that uh, very, very quickly. AP, uh, it causes an additional wound. Roll saves against the wound. Uh, this special has no effect on models that do not have a toughness value. Okay, so it's it's only wound models. So again, but okay. it will do it it's against only wounded models. Yes, but against dreadnoughts and automata, that's doing mm. them over quite nicely, isn't it? Yes, yeah. savage. But then with a with a graviton weapon with, with a graviton close combat weapons, you've also got haywire, which does additional, much more easier penetration, isn't it? So it's going to balance out against vehicles. So I I like the graviton close combat weapons. I think they're pretty tasty, personally. And who doesn't love Graviton? Okay, uh, the next uh, class of weapons are going to be Olympian Shrapnel weapons. Shrapnel bolts existed in the last edition, but you can only use them on heavy bolters. You're sacrificing some um, armor penetration because they, you know, the shrapnel, so they explode before uh, hitting their target. You're sacrificing a bit of range, but they get pinning. That's the main difference. So, for example, you can take a shrapnel bolter, which you, you couldn't before, which is really cool. Instead of just uh, heavy bolters, now you can take them uh, shrapnel pistols, shrapnel bolters, uh, shrapnel cannons, and um, gravis shrapnel cannons. So like heavy, um, heavy versions of them. Um, so essentially, uh, um, you're, you're losing some range. Uh, your shrapnel bolter is going to be uh, 18. It's going to be 18 inches, strength four, but rapid fire and pinning. So shrapnel weapons, I think they're really cool. I don't know how often. I guess yeah, because leadership went down. I think travel weapons that that, that pinning will be will, will, will be even more effective. And pinning has additional effects now as well. Yeah, yeah pinning um, is huge in a new edition, doesn't it, Miles? Do you want to explain that? Yeah, uh, I'm, I, do, do you know? I'm just running through it now. Do you know what the rules are? Yeah. So units become pinned cannot move, run, or charge. Uh, it can only fire snapshots if the attacks during the shooting phase cannot make uh, and cannot make any reactions in that phase. Ooh. That's the big one. That's yeah. the pinning yeah. came up so much in our test games as being such a huge detriment. And and people talk about I need to force more pinning into my army. Um, and also yeah. and reactions. Oh, sorry. Go ahead. I was going to say also in the version one for rules, you only had to take one pinning check per turn. Now it's per t- a per it's a pin and check on each unit that's attacking you. So if you've got oh. three units, with, if you've got a th- uh, three units with shrapnel weapons, and you have you get damage from each one, that's three separate pin and checks that a unit has to take. And imagine you take on reaction, that'll mess up your turn. Yeah, that's sad. So this yeah. is, is okay. You shoot at a unit. So Mars's blood angel shoot you shoot one of your own warriors with shrapnel weapons. You return fire. And then you pin Miles as part of your reaction fire, which means Miles then come react in your turn coming up. Oh, that's so savage. I, I might and have changed my mind on Shrapnel Bullets. So yeah, right at more. the end of this? Yes. If a unit becomes pinned during a charge, because this is something we need to sort of like force into our brains now, a unit charges against you, you shoot against them. Uh, units that, uh, uh, if a unit becomes pinned during a charge, then that charge automatically fails. Oh wow! Okay, so I might, yeah, I might be going with the shrapnel bolter, uh, shrapnel bolters now. Pinning is good in this edition, yeah. really good, and there are ways to force negative modifiers to the enemy's leadership okay. as well. Yeah. Yes, pinning very strong in this next edition. Excellent. All right. Well, I've changed my mind about that. I was looking at it as kind of, eh, but uh, now I can mm-hmm. see. Yeah. Um, but it goes now back to what we were saying earlier. Doesn't matter. It's the combination of rules now. Yeah. It's a bit more, it's a lot more modern game system. It's not like, here's mm. main rules, and here's how my army 
is in addition to those rules, it's much more now here are the main rules and here's how my army interacts and manipulates those rules. All right, so next up, let's do the units and I'll end with Pitarabo. And again, we don't want to go line by line, so I'll just mainly talk about what, what's changed. Let's start with Tyrant. Or do, or do we want to save all the Primark comparisons for the end? Oh, that might be you a fun do all discussion. The Let, oh, let's yeah. do all the Primarks. Oh, the Primarks at the yeah. end? Okay. Yeah, yeah let's, let's call like that. Oh, no, wait a minute. Fuck let's you. Get it's the because Primarks you got Horus. <laughs> well, we're not be comparing us who's I, the I best see what you've Primark. Done there. <laughs> <laughs> what? What? It's just a... You've completely comment. engineered that situation. <laughs> Just, yeah. JP, iron circle maniple, please. <laughs> the iron circle maniple. Now, uh, this is one that I haven't really used. Uh, I've never used the iron circle actually. Um, I would always, I always wanted to get some. I probably should. I don't know of too many like major changes. One thing that I noticed is that you can't, you can no longer take them as. I guess the big thing is you can no longer take them as a bodyguard for Warsmith, but you can just take them as an elite choice which you couldn't do before. Correct me if I'm wrong. No, that's true. Yeah, so you used to be able to take them as a, as a retinue unit, didn't you? Yeah, you could just, um, take, you could just take a unit of, of, uh, of Iron Circle now. Um, yeah. You could take four units of Iron Circle, and that could be your army. <laughs> and plus, your Warsmith already has an automatic uh, Cortex control. Oh, oh, put them in a Fury of the Ancients list. Oh my God, you could do that. <laughs> That'd be so sick. Yeah, you could do oh. something really cool with this. I'm gonna, have to, I'm gonna have to look at that one now. It looks like what you expect from this unit: big, tough, hitty, big, tough hard robots. to remove. Yeah, yeah. They got uh, again. You can take them as a bodyguard for Perturabo. If you do that, uh, then um, they don't cost the elite choice. But otherwise, you could just take them. You could put your Warsmith into that unit, or you could not. Right, he could, a Warsmith can join that unit. Right, it's an infantry unit. I don't believe so because they're they've got oh, the no. automata type. Yeah. Oh, okay. That's a huge change. So they can't be used as, I guess that balances out a little bit. On the one hand, you can now use them more flexibly. You can use them in, you know, in any army, but yeah, they, they won't be able to be a uh, bodyguard for a warsmith, which I guess makes sense because they weren't really in the, in the background. I think in the background, they said that Perturabo gifted some iron circle to his most favored warsmith, but we, outside of that, we didn't really see it in the lore. No, we've we've only ever seen them following Pertrava around. Yeah, so it, it's much okay. more law based, isn't it? So, you know, but they're still good. Um, they are still very good, aren't they? Yeah. Oh yeah, they're big. They're they're big robots. Uh, strength seven, uh, toughness seven, five wounds. They're yeah, they're they're excellent. And they have the Legion, uh, the Legionus Astartes Iron Warriors rule too. So they get that plus one strength yeah. against dreadnoughts, automata, and vehicles and buildings. Yeah, they also have. Uh, uh, you can't instant death them. Uh, do you take D3 wounds instead of uh, taking instant death because of their battle shield? And when they're in base-to-base contact, they improve their uh, invulnerable save by one to a maximum of four plus, which is, again, it, it's a good unit. It's always been a good unit. Um, I, uh, I, I would like to take them as a bodyguard, but also just a big like unit of six because you can take up to six of them. It'll be expensive. It'll be like a thousand points, but I mean, that, that's still rad. So Ooh, the only thing I've just thought of, unless mm-hmm. by having a uh, unless by having a cortex controller that allows a warsmith to join, well, I need to check. We need to check the rules for oh. cortex controllers. But we'll come back to that. We'll, we'll look at that and we'll come back to it later. Yeah. Again, we're uh, like everybody else. We're still feeling our our way through the the the, the new edition. If we're wrong about that, let us know, and uh, we might realize it when we check the book right after recording. <laughs> 
Okay, let's move on to uh, Tyrant Siege Terminators, everybody's favorite unit, because we never got our Havocs. Tyrant Siege Terminators, big, the biggest thing, two wounds. Two wound Terminators are here. We've been waiting so long. It's such a necessary change. We've been saying it for years. Two wound Terminators are here, my friends. Who else is excited? Well, not Darren, because he already had two wound Terminators. And so did, so, did, mm. so did the Salamanders players. Yeah, you, as far as I'm concerned, you've just caught up with the best. I'm excited. Uh, but I'll tell you this. I, 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 there is one major change. I don't know if anybody else noticed it, uh, that they got massively nerfed. Oh, no. What happened? Uh, this is the first thing I looked for, and I knew they were going to do it because, again, it's one of those things that made them so much. They were already a good unit, and what made them already better, the Omniscope. The Omniscope. They still got it. It doesn't give you split fire anymore. The Omniscope used to give uh, um, the Sergeant uh, split fire, which meant what you would do is you'd have your big fuck off unit of Tyrant Terminators. You'd, sh you'd split fire your Sergeant into one unit, the, the unit that you want to charge and, you know, maybe do some damage. But then you'd fire all the Tyrant Terminators at, you know, maybe that Land Raider over there. Destroy the Land Raider and then you charge and kill the unit that you intended to do. Intended no, to kill. but... But instead, you ignore night fighting, which really screws with you in this version too. And you get yes. Would you like to know? Rate. Sorry, would you like to know what night fighting does now in this new edition? Yeah, let's, JP, let's, let's, let's you, that. you might you might be turned around on the subject of omniscopes. Convince um, me. Night fighting now uh, uh, it gives you minus one penalty to your leadership and ballistic skill, and no unit may draw a line of sight that is more than twenty four inches away. So these Tyrant Terminators can sit at the back and gleefully ignore all that. Wait, Night Fighting gives you a negative to your leadership? Yep. No, and I'm assuming... I'm, I'm just going to assume... Minus one penalty to leadership and ballistic skill. And I'm going to assume right now that the 8th ignores that because yep. I haven't read their rules yet. Yes. Uh, oh. Yes. Yes. Night Fighting, lethal, and only one person has to choose to have it. So if I'm playing a game with Miles, <laughs> if Miles goes, oh, no, I don't want Night Fighting, I'll turn around and go, well, I do. You still have it on a two plus, and it lasts until a four plus <laughs> into your second turn. Oh, that's interesting. It can really screw over those long ranged armies. So the fact your omniscope ignores it, and you get a free interceptor reaction, which doesn't use up its reaction slot, I'd say the omniscope has got better. Yeah, and Ooh. you're shooting a frag grenade at its strength four, heavy four pinning, and all those shrapnel shots. It's a lot of firepower. Is what you're saying? Yeah. Mm -hmm. And you've got free flak in there as well against your flies, so you don't have to worry yes, about that. Yes, that is actually a huge yet. change, a huge, very welcome change is now um, Tyrants have uh, flak, uh, which is uh, heavy two, um, strength seven, AP three, uh, Skyfire, which they didn't have before, which is great. That said, once again, I really like my split fire because you could get up to a whole bunch of shenanigans. Uh, but yeah, I, I, again, I, I think it's a wash. I think Tyrant Terminators uh, on the aggregate uh, they were an amazing unit before. They're an amazing unit now. And a bit more expensive. They're five points more expensive. I, I think you're not seeing them in the context of reactions and yeah, just maybe, how yeah, important yeah. reactions are. When somebody charges you, you can you can overwatch that unit at full ballistic skill. If a flyer comes on the table, you can shoot at them. So even though you haven't got uh, split fire, you're still firing more often in different phases of the game. Yeah, that's all. That's a good point. All right, maybe you're turning. Maybe I'm turning around on this. I'm happy to have two wounds. What does in uh, inexorable do? You don't reduce your um, leadership. You don't what? You don't reduce your leadership from morale or pin and checks. Oh, so it's like stubborn. Uh, yeah, there's something else to inexorable as well. I'm not sure if it's in the legion's rules or not. Oh, we just skip this. Like, 
Okay, skip it over. Yeah, we can look at that. Here we go. So you do not, uh, you ignore modifiers to leadership when making a morale check or pinning check, except those caused by fear or corrupted or anathema subtypes. So it's slightly worse than stubborn. Okay. Because stubborn is you ignore it for everything. You don't modify your leadership for anything. But this is just for morale or pinning. Inexorable? They have relentless, which is, is still using the same old rules, right? Yeah. And firing protocols. What does firing protocols do? Allows you to shoot two different weapons, so you can shoot your sight, you can shoot your tyrant missile yeah, and you can fire your bolters and your bolters. Yeah. Okay. Still great. Great unit before. Great unit now. I will not be putting mine in the bin. It will stay in my army. Um. So I guess that's a quick overview. It will save Pritarabo for uh, the end. And um, we, we save him. Save him for a Primark off. No, we're no, not calling you, it you that. You have. Yeah, we're not no calling special, it that. Like, no you have horse ascended. Just. Oh, okay, fine, fine, okay. No, no special characters. D- does anybody else find that a little bit weird? I didn't even notice that. I guess because I never use yeah, any. No special. It's characters. because they haven't. I, I, I reckon it's because no specific models. Yeah, no models for them is there, and I think what we'll find is if we're going to get these supplements, legion supplements, or campaign mm. books, when they drop the Iron Warriors one, it'll probably have a couple of yeah. Iron Warriors special characters, and they'll get models. That's probably when you're going to get your Iron Havocs back as well. Yeah, because the the Iron Warriors had uh, Golg, uh, Kirvalen, and uh, the Pravian dude. The, the Pravian special edition character. Yeah. So, yeah, okay, that makes sense. Um, everything that's in here has a model. And again, this is a, a first look at the Legion before I've had a chance to actually play it. My just initial, you know, just going over it and, and, and comparing it to the old edition. Um, I think the Iron Warriors started off in the old edition as being one of the stronger legions. I, I still, I maintain that they remain one of the stronger legions. They traded off one of their best abilities for, I think, increased customization. And and I I, I don't see anything. I started off by saying it was a nerf. I think that there was a minor nerf as far as the morale, but it, it, it got balanced out with all the improvements that were made. In particular, I have to underline uh, the, the, the ability to select uh, Warlord traits, which we couldn't do before, and also the huge improvement of, of Hammer of Olympia, um, which went from being, you know, cool, you get an extra heavy support slot now to just being absolutely savage. And gen- generally speaking, I'm, I'm very satisfied before having played any games, before having a lot of experience, um, I'm I'm quite happy uh, with these modifications. So, uh, Darren, you're also an Iron Warriors player. What do you What do you think? Just like re- real quick. Yeah, I, I agree with you. I think there's more bonuses than uh, anything else. Yeah, I, I I love the addition of shrapnel weapons. I love some warlord traits. I love what they've done with the Iron Circle. Um, the rights war don't really apply to me because I don't fit with that kind of main game kind of table. But yeah, I I like them. Um, on a scale of one to ten, JP, how would you rate them? Compared to what? Well, on, just on a scale, of one being <laughs> they're awful. I don't like them at all. I don't like what they've done. Ten being these are the best goddamn things I've ever seen. Oh God, I I because I, I feel we haven't established a proper uh, grading uh, rubric. No, no, I'm putting um, it against your head. I'm gonna say an eight. There we go. Thank you very much. Right, that's still an A minus. That's really good. Yeah, that's right. Miles, let's talk about the ninth. Okay, Blood Angels. Um, so I'm going to whip through these rules and then talk about their in-game applications. Uh, they pretty much are what you expect them to be. Big, punchy, hitty, um, very quick on the tabletop, 
very much on the front foot, very aggressive, and their special rules reflect that. Uh, the Incarmine Fury has changed from the previous iteration. Before, we used to get plus one to wounds constantly. Now, that only triggers when we assault, when we initiate an assault. So uh, you could see also, it as a nerf. Sorry, Mars, can I ask, does that also count if you're charged? Yeah. Or does uh, it only count when you um, charge? In a turn in which they are part of a successful charge against an enemy unit, even okay. if it's disordered. So no, we have to be the aggressors. No, so there's a big change. For, whereas we got it every single turn, now we get it. Uh, yeah, it, it, it's nowhere near as potent as it used to be. However, when you look at uh, the other Lee Jones Astartes, uh, they are modifying factors. They have to do something in order to trigger their effect. Uh, so, like, I'm not brokenhearted about this change in the rules uh, for it, um, and. I think we're viewing it through the lens of the last edition. There'll be a lot more charging. There'll be a lot more reactions. There'll be a lot more uh, things happening within the game that will trigger this effect. Um, it's it's easier to get charges now, isn't it? I think things like deep, particularly Blood Angels with Deep Strike Assault, faster yes. movement values, more assault vehicles. I think it's easier to get but charges you, in. You say that. Um, the reaction where a unit comes within 12 of you, you can move away. That is incredibly frustrating because I, I'm thinking in terms of, okay, 12 movement, uh, that will put me hopefully within a seven-inch charge. But when you move, and then uh, when you look at the movement values that everybody has, six, seven, you move seven inches away, that easy charge that you set yourself up for now becomes quite a hard charge. Um, and normally in, in the assault phase, you have one or two vital charges you want to get off and your opponent knows which ones you're gearing up for. So it's quite easy for them to recognize that and move away. Uh, so you, you'd say it's harder to put, uh, it's easier to assault, but with the reaction mechanic on top, balances out, certainly. It, it, it's yeah. harder in some ways. Yeah, it's, it's harder in some ways. Uh, okay, so the advanced reaction, it triggers uh, in the en enemy shooting phase. So... When you shoot against one of our units, we can uh, do our once-a-game advanced reaction where we all get uh, a shrouded 5+, plus, and this is a damage mitigation roll, so this can be taken on top of armor saves and uh, invulnerable saves. Uh, and once the shooting attack has been resolved, we can charge. So we can charge you in your own turn. That's quite pokey, isn't it? That, that's... Yeah. Yes, I've had... So it's very similar to the World Eater's advanced reaction. I've had this triggered against me. And yes, a well-placed advanced reaction or reaction can win the game for you. It, it can swing the tide completely. Um, so I'm very satisfied with that. Feels it's in, in, in line with the Blood Angels and the methodology of war. Uh, okay, Warlord traits. We have three. We have a Loyalist, we have a Traitor, and then we have kind of one in between. Uh, the Incarmine Paladin gives you a fear boost, so your Warlord gets fear one, and it increases to a maximum of fear four uh, for every independent character that this that your Warlord manages to take out. Now, fear in this edition is way more potent because across the board, units have lost uh, leadership. Um, so uh, th this trait, fear, you've got to watch out for, especially with Night Lords. And doesn't fear also have a range now as well? Uh, let me just quadruple check. Uh, 
I thought I'd, I may have, I may have getting mixed up with something else, but I know, I know the number in parentheses is what reduces your leadership. But I thought it was also mm-hmm. in a certain range as well. I'm, I may be horribly mistaken yeah. on that. I took this warlord trait twice. I never got the chance to use it, so it never came up. Um, okay, fear, 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 fear. Okay, enemies within twelve of a model with a special rule must reduce yeah. their leadership by the value in brackets. Yeah, that's huge. Yeah, good that, point. That's massive, isn't it? And especially yeah, if you're so, combining I mean, that with night against, fighting. Yeah, shoot against a unit. Um, take twenty five percent casualties. They're all on the morale check. Even a veteran sergeant, what what has leadership eight? You're reducing that by at least two with fear and night fighting. Goes down yeah. to six. Poof. That's yeah. huge. Is it just um, for morale checks or all leadership? Um, must they re- reduce their leadership by the brackets? So um, that can also affect pinning that, as well. Uh, oh, yeah. Uh, affect their leadership when taking morale checks, regroup, and or pinning checks. <laughs> oh, here we go. Okay, yeah, that's it. Um, so fear is huge in this edition. So being able yeah. to stack that and possibly gain plus four, um, that could break units on its own. Uh, Paragon of Glory, a Paragon of Unity rather, it gives you a bonus of plus one to the leadership characteristic to any unit that they're a part of. So one strikes fear into the enemy, one bolsters the leadership. And it's one of these warlord traits that I think I'd pass over in the previous edition. But with leadership being so much more prominent as a game mechanic in this edition, this could be very worthwhile, especially when I'm against a Night Lord army who I may think would be trying to push those advantages. Well, it's a good way to uh, boost like a large squad of tacticals or something you want being on an objective, isn't it? Yeah. You know, you, yeah. And we can, I know we, the automatic thing is to assume to stick it on nice elite units, but actually probably if you want the most out of it, sticking it on a large blob of tacticals or despoilers could actually get and more let's money remember this when we come to our right of war day of sorrows let's remember this when we come to right of sorrows and um the most straightforward uh, so with thrall of the red thirst you must initiate a charge if you are able to so even if it's unlikely if you're within 12 inches you have to roll that double six you have to declare charge if it is successful however the warlord and all other models in that unit gain plus two attacks instead of the plus two one uh, plus one attack granted for charging. So this is the most straightforward forward of them to use. It bolsters our innate ability to hit things. We're just hitting them more. So very much feeding into um, the, the, the the savage angel kind of premise uh, throughout uh, the, the the blood angel list with these warlord traits. Okay, rights of war. Day of Revelation and the other one, which is what every Blood Angel player used to say. I was going to say, I never realised you had any other. Yeah, and you kind of click your fingers. Oh, God, the other one, the other one, the other one. Holy God. Okay, we'll, when we come to it, yeah, they've both been completely reworked. The Day of Revelation has been significantly reworked in light of how deep striking now works. So at the start of the game, before any deployment has taken place, uh, but as uh, you, you have to roll for deployment maps and mission or before anything is deployed, you have to put down a marker. Then you have to declare either turn two, three, or four. Um, everybody's going to go turn two, I think. But that's when your drop assault comes in. And it has to come in within two, within six inches of this initial uh, deployment of the of the uh, coin or the uh, marker. 
that has to come in within six. Now, what's important here is the phraseology. Deep striking units have to come in within 12 inches of the unit. And it's, in, it's not models, it's units. So you can have a big unit of assault marines come down within six inches uh, of uh, this. Let me just make sure that they still scatter. Okay, so the first unit that comes down does not scatter. And the way That's deep huge. striking works, all yeah, all units that come in from there don't scatter either. So you bring a big unit of assault marines down, they can spread out the full two inches, they can dominate a large area of ground, and your entire army could come in within 12 inches of that. Because with an all deep strike assault or drop pod assault, there's a chance from the initial unit that they can be disordered. So is there a risk of that in day of revolutions? Yeah. Um, so what happens is you have this initial marker, right? If your opponent was able to get within six inches where you're unable to bring down the unit, your opponent would get to uh, place place the, the unit. So that's the only way they can be disordered? Yes. That's a massive, huge bonus compared to the standard mm. deep strike assault. And also, it means you won't be affected by the master of signal, the, no. um, the, Vox, the Vox disruptor away, array as well. No. That's huge. That's such mm. a massive bonus, especially for your legion. Yeah. Uh, the problem becomes, you. Uh, okay, so turn one, you... Uh, I, I like to null, null deploy, so I'll have one dreadnought at the back of the field and hopefully it doesn't get blown off, off the board. Now, your opponent will very quickly learn about this trick, about surrounding this marker six inches. As soon as that marker is surrounded, your opponent can get to uh, uh, put the units wherever they want uh, on the tabletop. Uh, but yeah, I believe uh, your opponent gets to choose where the arrival is yet. Yeah, so this six uh, this uh, marker is so vitally important uh, if your opponent uh, so this is placed on at the start or uh, before deployment so if your opponent has scouts they can easily just put it on there and deny you it they can move towards it and remember space marines have a, a movement of seven they run by adding their initiative to their movement value so they can sprint towards that that marker so that can be really, really hazardous to a Blood Angel player where your army just comes down pell-mell by then. Uh, but yeah, if you're able to keep... Uh, so what I found out doing, I was being rather conservative with my placement of it. I was putting it down well outside my opponent's um, uh, deployment zone and then relying on the natural uh, movement ability of the uh, jetpack to close ranks. I wasn't able to bring it in uh, like you can with a, uh, a, drop, with a, with a normal assault uh, a deep, deep, um, deep strike assault where you can choose and then roll. Uh, you have to place this before anything comes down. So again, big advantages, big disadvantages to the way that Blood Angels now deploy in this. But you do have the potential of bringing a big unit down. Everything else coming in within twelve inches of it. And if an assault unit or if a deep striking unit comes within six of an enemy unit, they have to take a pinning check, which again is huge in terms of reactions because what i found i was bringing units down player was reacting and moving away so that that pinning check is going to be and again you can stack it with night fighting i i think our special unit has a minus one as well yep so our dawnbreaker cohort uh gives the the units uh, a minus one leadership characteristic when taking these pinning tests uh, it's so those it, combinations it, isn't it yes it stacks it really does uh, and like JP said earlier, the limitations, 
don't really affect it. They're not really limitations. You have to take a HQ with a jump pack. All units made up entirely models with deep strike and rule and attachment using the strike of war assigned to deep strike assault. Yeah, okay. Uh, we can't take any subterranean assaults. We can't take any fortifications. Fine. Oh, no. What a shame. Oh, no. Yeah, that's fine. Uh, okay, the Day of Sorrows is probably the biggest change of, of any of the rights of war that I've read so far, insofar as that it went from being really clunky and difficult to use to being usable and very good. The first thing it does is unlock Crimson Paladins uh, as um, uh, uh, non-compulsory troops, but they gain the line subtype. That's huge. Should we just explain what line does? Because yes, yeah, like line. Even you, Rob, under under V one of Age of Darkness, as I'm sure many listeners are know. But we have got some new listeners as well, so welcome. Um, all troops and anything with the implacable advance rule would count as a scoring unit. So you could grab objectives. So that was anything pretty much in the troop section. It was veteran marines, terminators, seekers, all had implacable advance. Throw that out the window, because the only units that now count as scoring units for objectives is if they have the line trait. Now, it's easy to think that everything in the troop section has line, but it doesn't. So scout squads don't have line, and support squads don't have line. So only your tactical squads, your... Uh, despoilers, your breaches, your assaults, and your recon squads have line rules. Terminators can't score, veteran squads can't score anymore. So by giving your Crimson Paladins the line trait so they can score, that's massive. That is a big boost. Uh, um, when we talk about the improvements in the, in the Crimson Paladins, it, it, it stacks, again, why you want these guys defending your line. Um, but the, the units... Uh, well, Blood Angel units also get stubborn within uh, w- with units with at least one model within six of an objective. And again, phraseology is very important there. One model from a unit within at least six of an objective get the stubborn special rule. And if they already have stubborn or fearless, uh, they, they get more no further benefit. But again, even just a big blob of leadership seven, leadership eight dudes with the Paragon of Unity nearby, giving you plus one to your leadership, gets and stubborn. Throw in a, and then throw an apothecary in for four plus, feel no pain if you were within, uh, four plus, feel no pain yep. if you were within a certain distance from objective from tacticals as well. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that it, it's those stacking again, isn't it? it? It's a unit that's deeply entrenched and hard to remove. A big unit of tactical marines with Fury of the Legion, with chain bayonets, that can shoot you in uh, the Blood Angel turn and then shoot you again as they charge into you and then chain bayonet you. Um, Yeah, it it, it stacks really significantly. And then the last advantage to this uh, is that when a unit is reduced by 50%, so your big unit of 10 dudes, uh, sorry, of 20 uh, tactical Marines goes down to 10 Marines, they gain the heart of the Legion and hatred everything. Special rules, and they also get the line subtype if they don't have it already. Wow, yeah, so you, yeah, okay. Yeah. Can uh, we explain what Heart of Legion does first? Yes, because Do you normally, know offhand what it does, uh, I believe it gets additional attacks when you charge it. Yeah, so, you normally only find it on despoiler squads, 
Mm-hmm. So despoiler squads, people who are who aren't aware, they've now been fully defined as tactical marines that don't carry bolters, they carry uh, chainsaws and bolt pistols instead. So they're basically like assault squad without jump packs. Uh, however, they do have this rule called Heart of Legion. So when it's like what Heart of Legion is, when a unit in a, that includes at least one model with this special rule has at least half its models within six inches of an objective, they all gain Feel No Pain 6 Plus and Stubborn Special Rules. Oh my God. So if that if, cost so is in the unit, sorry, go ahead, go ahead. I was yeah. just reading ahead of you. Yeah, if any model already in the unit has a very Feel No Pain, then they increase that by one. So if you've got an apothecary, your feel no pain will go up to four plus. So if you're within six inches of an objective, you gain um, stubborn and feel no pain four plus with an apothecary in the unit, plus all those additional bonuses you mentioned a moment ago. Uh, yeah. Wow. It's not okay. bad, is it? It's 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 not an auto dismissed now, is it? No, absolutely not. And it's so narratively themed as well. Day of Sorrows. It's the last line of defense of the Siege of Terror. That's what this line is designed for. Yeah, it creates a very differently thematic Blood Angels force, doesn't it? You're no longer looking at Mm -hmm. the the jump assault, I'm going to ram it down your throat, Legion. It's the, we're holding this line no matter what. We are the last bastion against the darkness. So you just brought up a really good point there. So um, even though the Blood Angels, so my Blood Angel list, I think it very heavily encouraged you in the last edition to run jump packs fast hard-hitting armies but i always felt like it was a little bit of a one-trick pony this right of war allows me to play my legion in several different ways now i can take an infantry force i can take uh like a bastion force i can have a hard-hitting army it 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 just explodes the number of options i can viably take i I don't think this is a game-breaking i don't think this is a a horror like something that people are going to look at and go oh my god this game is broken it just allows me to, it gives me the option to play it without handicapping myself yeah uh okay Let, let's let's talk about okay uh limitations they're they not really limitations i can't take things like um i can't take deeper strike a deep strike assault subterranean assaulting units um uh, yeah, it's it, it, they're not really restrictions. But, okay, since we're dealing with the effects on this page, let's have a look at Crimson Paladins. These are the Terminators that the Blood Angels get, the Speciality Terminators. Again, two wounds. They come in cataphracty plates. They have movement six, two up save, four up invon. And then they have a list of special rules. Relentless, bulky two, deep strike, blood is forever, stubborn. So they already come with stubborn. They are leadership 10 base. Each and every they, one of them. They didn't have deep strike last uh, last game, too. As well, I they? They didn't think have... they did. I I think they did just to fit in with the Blood Angels. I, I can't really remember, but that's last edition, so who cares? That that's gone. That's done and dusted. Uh, okay, let's talk about the Blood is Forever. So when a unit is outnumbered, when a unit of Crimson Paladins is outnumbered, they gain Feel No Pain five plus. Now, if they're outnumbered by twice their number, they get Feel No Pain 4+. Feel No Pain 4+, in a Day of Sorrows list, when they lose half <laughs> of their unit, they get a, a plus one. I see where this one. is going. They get plus one to they Feel No Pain. So they so go you... to Feel feel No Pain 3-up. Uh, Brutal. And they're, so scoring, and they're scoring. And they're scoring. Line. And they're stubborn. They each have two wounds. Uh, they each have two wounds. They have a weapon skill of five, so they are very hard to hit. 
and their Coriolis Patent Power Shield means that all wounds against them come at minus one. So any hit against them is minus one to the uh, uh, to the um, uh, to wound roll. To the actual to wound roll, not the strength. To the actual to wound roll, not the strength. Because that's that's a big difference. Yeah, so they can still be doubled out by power fists, but it means against lesser infantry. If they are being swarmed by uh, a big unit of ta- militia, tactical squads, in most cases, okay, you can do another little stack as well, Raldron in the unit, and you... Um, so Raldron allows you to take warlord traits from other um, loyalists and he can get something from the Imperial Fist that boosts their weapon skill by one. Oh, so you, could, yeah, <laughs> you could be looking at a unit that is being hit on sixes and that's being wounded on five plus, two wounds with the line, heart of the legion, with a three up uh, feel no pain. It's certainly given a massive boost to the Crimson Paladins, hasn't it? Let's face it, because they were a very easily dismissible unit in the old version mm-hmm. one, but version two, yeah. they're back, baby. And yeah, I mean, to you. <laughs> even if you didn't take any of those stacks, even if you just left them as their own, just taking them as they are, there are two wound terminator that come with a five up feel no pain that can go to four up, and they all two wound rolls hit against them are at minus one. Can they still take? Oh, what your fancy... Iliastus Assault Cannons. Oh, oh, oh yeah. sorry. <laughs> yeah, so the Iliastus Assault Blade. What's the... Um, the perdi- divine, is so, it perdition. Okay. E- e- okay. Perdition. Yeah. yeah. Crimson Paladins, they're not so much of a hitter unit. They're more of a hang-in-their unit. Perdition weapons. Um, okay, sorry. I've, give, I've let the cat out of the bag there. We don't get perdition swords anymore. Perdition blades. No. We get perdition weapons. We get perdition oh. axes, axes of perdition, spears of perdition, mauls of perdition, and they I'm all come I'm... with their own, yeah, differentiating AP values. So, um, most of them are AP3. Uh, the axe of perdition's uh, uh, AP2. But yes, they do still have that. Fl- uh, it, it's, the, w- the rule is called brutal now. Each one of these comes with brutal two. Brilliant. Yeah. Yeah. But having that universal special rule means there's no longer any arguments about whether those wounds mm-hmm. spill out onto other models. So that was always one of the discussions, wasn't it, in the first version? But listen, we're only focused on V2. So having them all as brutal weapons means, oh, you're a veteran squad, are you? Okay, that's yes. nice. Yeah, and from my game, veteran... Uh, okay, yeah, we'll, we'll go on to that bit, but yeah, veteran squad. There are a few takeaways from the from the, um, uh, fr- 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 from that uh, experience. Uh, we still got our assault cannons. Uh, the malfunction rule has changed, thank God. Before, you used to roll four dice, and if three of them came up as one, the weapon would jam. You couldn't use it anymore. In a squad of angel tiers, where you have 10 of them with assault cannons, it was hell to roll up. Now, if they shoot as part of a reaction attack, they get gets hot. That's it. That's oh, okay. It. That's nice yeah. and simple, then. Cleaned up, cleaned up. Um Okay, let's go. Okay, Angel Tears. Let's go straight on to Angel Tears. They haven't changed much at all, but they have benefited from the overall universality of the special rules. They now come, uh, they, they still have one wound, but they have, they have two attacks each with counterattack one. And you have to bear in mind keeping your head reactions. You have a unit. Okay, even if you just take them base, two Volkite Serpentas, a unit charges you. Each one of those Marines has two Volkite Serpentas shooting at you, and they have counterattack one, so they get two attacks base, three for additional hand weapon, four for counterattack. And that's after surviving 
being shot with two uh, Volkite Serpentas. And they've got rag grenades as well. So it's minus one to your toughness. Now, imagine assaulting that unit that has assault cannons, four shots each at full ballistic skill, and then being counterattacked. So that's what the yeah. Angel tiers are. They are very good. They, are, they were good in the old edition. They are still good in this edition. They come with a whole host of different effects and different um, equipment loadouts, but they're still very good. Dawnbreaker cohorts, so these are the dudes with the spears, pretty much as you'd expect them. Um, Hitty, uh, they come with Furious Charge 1, so when they assault, they have two attacks based. They now have two wounds each, with two plus armor save. Oh my god. <laughs> <laughs> They, they are so hard to shift. I mean, things with two wounds are so hard to shift anyway. Do Most they still of, have their grenade launchers? Yes, they do. Frag and crack. So it, it's either high strength uh, or, uh, yeah, ha- high strength, one shot, lots of three shots, low strength. And again, reactions. You are charging against these guys. You have to we- weather a hail of either frag bombs or crack bombs before you get hit over the head with a sunrise or a sunset blade. Yeah, two attacks each, two up save, two wounds, weapon skill five, everything you want from an elite unit. Uh, th- th- they give you a minus one modified to the leadership if they deep strike within six of you. Uh, their spears have taken a bit of a nerf. They're no longer AP2, they're AP3. But they have reach one, which means they get plus one to their initiative on the charge and rending five plus. And each one of these guys kicks out four attacks each on the charge. So the rending will affect people. You can replace this with the Sunrise Sunset Blade. Um, rending's coming there, five plus, or you can have the other one with Sudden Strike, which gives you plus one to your initiative, and Shred, which makes you a little... So they can either be a unit that takes out elites, or they could be a unit that takes out uh, mass horde infantry. They could be blenders, or they could be precision strikers. So that is the overview of the list. Oh, oh my God, how, how can I forget this? The Incendious Dreadnought, possibly my favorite piece of equipment. Um, it's the Dreadnought that comes with a jump pack. Mainly, the main benefits these things have got have come in line with the Dreadnoughts. Um, they are very useful if you find yourself in a, in a tricky spot with deep striking because they have such a uh, small area of effect. You can just bring them down uh, with without uh, scattering that much, and if they do scatter, it doesn't matter that much. Or if you're using a day of revelations, it can get you out to some tricky spots. Uh, but the main benefit does come with the benefits of contemptors altogether. Uh, the special characters, Ralderon, he is an absolute dick kicker. Uh, weapon skill seven, uh, three wounds, four attacks, uh, but a lot of his special rules stack. So furious charge two. He has a blade that has AP2, Shred, Murderous Strike 5+. I think the biggest caveat to this is he can take a, a Warlord trait from the White Scars, the Imperial Fists, the Space Wolves, the Ultramarines, the Iron Hands, the Raven Guard, or the Salamanders. I'll leave it up to you to try the different combinations. Uh, the Imperial Fist one, I think Defender of Soul seems like a very strong one because it gives you plus one weapon skill against any traitor and it gives you an additional reaction in each phase of the game that uh, only your unit that Ra- or Raldron has has joined can use 
but incredibly useful, incredibly incredible. This character, he reflect. He's known as the Archive of Wisdom. I think he reflects that in his rules. He's a very an, a, a, a superb frontline infantry commander. He's a good first captain, isn't he? According to oh, his rules, he 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 fits the first captain role. Uh, he so in the old rules when he charged, you could reasonably expect him to do well against some of the lesser lesser close combat Primarchs, Alpharius. He can hang in there. Uh, now it, it's the same. Uh, he, he's just a superb, superb character. Um, a Swiss army knife in the army. Uh, then we have Dominion Zephon. Now his biggest thing is that he, he can unlock a unit of destroyers as his own personal retinue. He is very hard to put down uh, when he takes his last say when when he takes his last wound, on the roll of a four up he comes back. So he's one of those characters that just hangs in there, that stays in there, and he can unlock um, destroyers as a retinue unit. So that is the Legion in a very brief overview. So before we talk about your game. Yes. Um, same question to you as for JP. On a scale of one to uh, one to ten, how do you feel about the changes to your legion? Um, changes. I would say, in context with the uh, with the rules, uh, what did we say? Eight was an A minus. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Eight's a generous A minus. Uh, a nine. Ooh, a full uh, A. Like, yeah, a full A, definitely. Uh, I think they've preserved the spirit of the army, translated it. I think they've uh, balanced it out against the rest of the legions, but they still feel very potent. They still have some good combinations in there. And more widely, I think they've broadened their horizon of a Blood Angel player. Whereas before, you were encouraged very heavily in army construction to take jet bikes, uh, sorry, to take uh, jet jump packs, uh, fast moving quick units with the inclusion of day of sorrows and the changes to infantry the changes to the overall meta i think other styles of list uh rise to the top come into more prominence yeah i feel like i have a much wider range of units i can select from i have a much wider scope for me as a blood angel player to play in this game yeah solid a uh, okay, how about you guys? Because this is, I think this is a common trend that we experience, that we look at other legions in Envy. So how would you view the Blood Angels in this edition? Uh, I think they look absolutely savage, as they should. I do look forward to hearing your thoughts about Sanguinius. Uh, but mm. having only faced, here's the thing, I've only faced Blood Angels against you. I've, ne I've never... Mm -hmm. Yeah, just like you were saying that in your particular uh, group that there's uh, no Iron Warriors players. Yeah. Uh, in mine, there's no Blood Angels players. So I haven't had a chance to face them that much. What it really seems like, they're going to be savage in close combat and close range and they move mm -hmm. quickly, which is exactly what you want. It seems yeah. like I haven't noticed any negative changes. Um, and much like what I was talking about with the Iron Warriors, a lot of it seems like lateral. Right, as yeah. it's not negative. No, that's a very good way because it, the biggest thing that's happened to us is in Carmine Fury. We've lost plus one yeah. uh, to, to wound in all phases. That's instead moved to on the charge. Yeah, it's not a nerf. It's not a, a huge power creep. It really seems like a readjustment um, and one that honestly, uh, even in the case of my own Legion, uh, I, I, is welcome, I think. Sorry, Darren, I had cut you off earlier. No, no, I think we just spoke both sides. I think 
for me, the big thing about Blood Angels, and it's something Miles picked up on, is you now have more variety in how you can play them. Like you were saying, yeah. previously it was like, I have Blood Angels army with Day of Revelation. You can pretty much predict it, right? If you're up against yeah. a Blood Angel player, you can guess 90% of what's in that army. Yeah, absolutely. Whereas now, if you want to do a much more thematic army around the Siege of Terror or Beat to Garmin or even Cygnus, because I think Deosora or Cygnus would, would have been quite common, um, yeah. you, you've got that ability. And I love the fact that they've dramatically changed the Crimson Paladins, so then they're, mm. they're now as viable as the Dawnbreakers or the Angel of Steers. Yeah, they really are. They really are. So, yeah. Even if you didn't put any of the buffs on them, they're still a good unit to use straight out of the box. Yeah, absolutely. It's good. I, I like it. I like it. I, I think okay. it's very thematic. Darren, you've you've uh, held it in long enough. Splurge. Splurge for us. Right. Splurge it. Okay. So let's get into the Suntorus then. Um, I will be as concise as I can be. <laughs> Um, but um, is, is, I, I, can, I can be more concise. We're yeah, none of us succeeded up. in being concise up to no. now, so don't don't be shy. No. Challenge accepted. Right, Leave let's start off with the Legion trait, which is merciless fighters, which a bit like the Blood Angels relies on charging, or in our case, also counts as when we have been charged. And once again, it's an assault. Obviously, in the charge phase, it would be. But our one, rather than the Blood Angels make them better when they're hitting someone, we're more able to absorb the hits. So we actually have, against any incoming attacks, minus one strength. That's huge because things like Power Fists and Chain Fists can no longer double our units out. So troops like Hal Jostarian, for example, get punched in the face with a Power Fist and go, is that the best you've got? It, it's huge it really is it's a powerful and rule it's a really powerful it, it rule. it is a very very powerful rule but also against things like we're going to see hundreds of chain blades on the table well okay yeah. great you've hit me with a chain blade that's like stabbing me with a bayonet mm, so yeah it, it gives them that slight edge in close combat what's our advanced reaction like well there is some discussion around this one. We have Death Dealers, which is activated in the shooting phase. And it's very, very similar to the standard return fire um, in that when an enemy unit shoots you, you get to shoot back. Now, I'll, I'll read the rule and then I'll talk about where some of the uh, kind of conversation has taken place amongst some of okay. players. The big difference against the standard return fire is that you can only react if one of your units is shot within 12 inches of the enemy. But as a bonus, you get to have an increase of plus one ballistic skill. So a tactical marine goes up to ballistic skill five, and you shoot before the enemy shoots. Now, that's a critical point because, yes, the enemy will still shoot with any models which have been killed. So, for example, if Miles shot his Crimson Paladins at a unit of my Reavers, I could shoot back with my Reavers before Mars's Crimson Paladins could shoot. Now, you may think, well, what difference does it make? Mars is still going to shoot with all of his Crimson Paladins. If I have a unit that has the pinning rule and I get to pin Miles's unit before he shoots, he's going to shoot snapshots. Ah, right. Okay. Yeah. Right. That it makes sense. Or, okay. <clears throat> or I could force him to take a morale check 
before he gets to shoot. And if his morale is broken and he falls back, he can no longer shoot. Right. Okay. That's so it's little things like that. Now that's that's a standard rule. Where some discussions coming amongst some Zahorus players is nowhere in the advanced reaction rule does it say the unit that is shot at has to be the one that reacts. So there is currently some discussion, and I hopefully this will get clarified in the FAQ. But there is some discussion that let's say Miles shot at my unit of Reavers that was within mm-hmm. 12 inches of his Crimson Paladins. My Volkite heavy support squad down the other end of the table can suddenly react. Now, there is discussion about that. I personally don't think the rule quite reads like that, but I just want to make sure the listeners are aware there is an alternative interpretation about how that rule works. I personally believe it's the unit that's shot at that has to react. That's my personal opinion. Yeah. Let's talk about think- Warlord traits. Warlord. <clears throat> now, as we've discussed before, amongst the Sons of Horus, there seems to be kind of three schools of personality. One which is very closely associated with the warp, one which is associated with the Lunar Wolves, and one which is about the pride in the Legion, the pride of being the War Master's own. And the Warlord traits reflect that. So the first traitor-only Warlord trait we have is chosen by Dark Gods. And this represents the Warlords that have associated themselves with the Dark Powers. So what you get to do at the start of every turn, you can choose, and this is important, choose to roll a dice. On a two to five, your strength and toughness are increased by one for the rest of that turn. So until the start of your next turn. So throughout your opponent's turn, your strength and toughness are increased by one. So in most cases, that's putting you up to uh, fives. Fear of the Ancients, Fear of the Ancients, where your warlord is, is a contemptor, you could go up to Oh, eights. my God. Oh, <laughs> oh God. that's nasty. I've never considered these with dreadnoughts. Uh, Ah, you can tell what I've been spending my weekend doing, can't you? <laughs> so, it gets better. On a six, you get the strength and toughness bonus, and you regain a single wound. That's amazing. That's sweet, yeah. But, but as we know, the powers of chaos are fickle. If are you roll fickle, a yes. one, you lose a wound, which you cannot um, save in any way. Not with an invol, not with an arm save, not with damage mitigation. But you can regain that wound back. So if you roll a one on one turn, then roll a six in a later turn, you get your wound back. And you can also make an additional reaction during the movement phase. You then have, as a second one, this is the loyalist trait, the Wolf of Luna. Um, And what this does is it gives the Warlord and any unit that he's attached to plus one attack on any charge or when he's being charged against any unit that has the Legionist status rule and the traitor traits. So if I had a loyalist Lunar Wolf army and I was charged by a traitor Night Lord player, his, that Warlord and his unit gets plus one attack. And you can also make an additional reaction during your assault phase. The final one, and this is the neutral Warlord trait you can use for loyalist or traitor, is the Armour of Pride. Now, what this does is the first time in the battle when your warlord is reduced to zero wounds, you can make a leadership check. If you pass your leadership check, he regains one wound. Oh, no, no, sorry. He regains D3 wounds. Yeah, it's even better. It's even better. Um, it doesn't count against attacks of instant death or that automatically remove your model, but against most of the time, and bearing in mind, if you're in close combat and you go down, which is the most likely time characters are killed, 
you don't get instant death and return you've charged anyway, or you've been charged. So you're more likely to be bouncing back up. Um, and you can make an additional reaction in the shooting phase. So for me, for my army, um, my Praetor is likely to take Chosen by the Dark Gods to represent he's kind of attached himself much more to those Dark Powers, but my Delegatus is more likely to take the Armour of Pride just because of a narrative I've got into my Legion. But overall, those are some strong Warlord traits. I think they really represent the feel of the Legion excellently. I think there's yeah. something interesting in this that... Uh, in the initial rule set, in this new rule set for the Sons of Horus, they have more, I guess, chaos uh, elements to them. It, it really feels like this new edition is not only just a new edition of the game, but also moving the storyline forward a bit. Like hmm. we, we can, this might be the mid-war version of the game, whereas all our original black books is the the Crusade era, the early war uh, period of the game. Yeah. I agree. I think these are the best warlord traits uh, in the game. They're fantastic, yeah. Because the Lunar Wolf one, you can theme an entire army around that warlord trait. Yeah. Yeah. Sorry. It's Fan 3. It's perfect for Fan 3, isn't it? Mm. And beyond. Um, let's talk about Rights of War. So we have the Black Raven of Long March. Now, before we get out there, in all the 30k Suns Horus groups that I, I'm a member of, Black Raven has suddenly become very, very popular. Oh, I wonder Can I point why? out that I was doing Black Breathing <laughs> when it was shit over the last four years? Or ever since it's come out and over the addition changes we've had with, you know, as things have improved, I stuck with Black Breathing from the beginning. So, yes, you know, yes. don't you'll, come you'll to get me your, your hipster. Yeah. Vindicated at last. Vindicated get your medal through the mail any day. So, Black Raven is this right war that represents a much more predatory field of Legion. It's the gang. It's the wolf feel. It's them hunting down their enemy encircling them and tearing them to pieces what happens is we um if a legion of stasis sons of horus unit charges an enemy unit which is now this is significant either already locked in combat or is the target of at least one other charge in that charge sub phase they gain the rage to special rule now rage the number in the parenthesis is the number of additional attacks you get when you charge so you don't just get a bonus one attack in this case, you'll gain two additional attacks, which you'll probably also have additional close combat weapons in there as well. Now, what's significant here is you gain this on the turn when other people are declaring charges. Now, I looked this up carefully earlier. Let's say if I'm going to attack Miles's Crimson Paladins, who dared shoot at my Reavers earlier, if I've got a tactical unit off to one side, I can declare a charge with them against Crimson Paladins. Even if those crim even if that tactical squad doesn't reach base to base, they only make what we call the surge move now, they have still been the target of another charge. So when my reavers go in, my reavers will get the rage bonus. Wow, okay. I That's significant. That. Yeah, but I, I, I had to read it quite carefully because it doesn't say um it always says already locked in combat. That's fine. But then it all—it just says is the target of at least one other charge. It doesn't say as target of at least one other successful charge. So it's quite significant, that little word being missed out. Um, what you also get, a bit like Miles in his Day of Sorrows, Reaver squads can be taken as troop choices and they gain line. So the Reavers gain the line, so they become scoring troops. That is huge. That is huge. So one's a bit like the Crimson Paladins. We can take... Well, we'll talk about Reavers very shortly, 
two wound equivalent veteran squads as our line squads. Um, and just staring game deep strike as well. You know, deep strike assault with a squad of just staring. <clears throat> yes, please. We'll, we'll have that. Yeah, that's ouch. Yeah. Now, limitations. You have to take a master of signal in addition to whichever character unlocks your right of war. That's potentially a problem because masters of signal have a um, Vox Disruptor away with array, which makes deep striking more than one unit dangerous. So you can either just take a single unit of just staring to charge or keep your master of signal in res- a different reserve to your just staring. So you are going to have to be a little bit cautious there and you have to take more fast attack than heavy support. Oh dear, what a shame. Mm-hmm. The other one is Long March. Now, Long March has changed significantly since the previous version. And um, a lot of Sanders of Horse Source players ask calling this a complete nerf against what we had previously. And in many ways, it is. Um, so all units in the detachment gain plus one movement as long as um, they're not running, uh, but they don't gain a bonus to charge distance rolls either. So, you know. They are slightly faster. That means your basic units are going to be moving eights, even your cataphractia moving sevens. So that's not bad. You know, you're, you're much faster moving. Um, cataphracti, Tartarus, and Justerian can be chosen as non-compulsory troops. They don't gain line, but they can be taken as troops, which is significant for something we'll come back to. And all of those Terminator units, cataphracti, Tartarus, and Justerian, gain outflank which means they can assault from the outflank assault rules. Limitations, you can only be a traitor. So one of the other limitations is if you have the heavy unit subtype, you cannot include those units, those heavy units, unless they're in a transport or entering play from reserve. So, for example, your cataphracty cannot start on foot on the board. They either have to be in a land raid or a Spartan or a Dreadclaw or come in from outflank. Now, what that also picks up is things like breaches because they have a heavy subtype. They have to be embarked or in reserve. Heavy support squads have to be embarked or in reserves. So it does go wider beyond the Terminators. What the Long March does is encourage like a pinning force of relatively light troops and then an outflanking Terminator force coming in from the side. Bearing in mind, they could be embarked on something like a Spartan or a Land Raider when they outflank, because they can have those as dedicated transport. So yeah. there, is, there is some potential shenanigans. I think Black Reaving is immediately easier to use. Long March, you have to think about, but I think Long March could potentially be as potent as a Black Reaving if you think about what you're doing. Um, right, let's move on to... Our other bits. We've had better war gear. Now, Bane Strike rounds. I'm going to start with Bane Strike rounds. We've had Bane Strike rounds since the updated Legion Army List, Red Book, as it was referred to. And let's be honest, Bane Strike rounds originally were rubbish. The new Bane Strike Yeah, nobody bolters, used them. No, the new Bane Strike bolters are much better. More units have got access to them for starters. So any character can take a Bane Strike bolter or combi bolter. Uh, seekers can exchange their Kraken bolts for Bainstroke bolters, and veterans can take Bainstroke bolters as well. Um, I'm certainly modelling the unit of my veterans with Bainstroke. What they have now is slightly shorter range, a bit like the shrapnel bolters from JP's Iron Warriors. They're only 18 inch range. 
There's still rapid fire, all normal so far. The combi bolt keeps its twin linked. Yep, all normal. But what's this? It seems to be a slightly better strength roll. We're strength five with bane strike rounds. So we're generally wounding the starties on threes. What's that? You've been hit by rad weapons as well. So your toughness is reduced by one. Oh, okay. We'll hit you on twos then, shall we? Ah, awesome. And as an extra bonus, your AP4. So you're basically bane strike bolters on their basic stat line are a short ranged heavy bolter. Hello, yeah, just there, just there and get them for free. Yeah. Hello, hello, militia and solar auxilia. I heard you had an armor save. What the big bonus is, they all come with breaching six. So breaching is one of those new rules on a wound of six, then you count as AP2. So bane strikes. I'm going to look at how many bane strikes I can shoehorn into some <laughs> forces now. <laughs> yeah, they're and awesome. As well as, yeah, absolutely. They've gone massively up in my estimation. Um, and we also have our own power axes now, the Caster and Power Axe, which is strength user, AP3, pretty good so far. It is only a specialist weapon. So unless you've got a second specialist weapon, then you won't get bonus attacks. Oh, okay, then I'll only put them on my Terminators or Breacher squads. What a shame. But you get Breaching 5. So on a wound roll of five or more, you count as AP2. Oh, and it's not unwieldy, so I'm hitting you at initiative. Yeah, that's I'm awesome. Yeah, I'm certainly thinking of modelling one of my um, Praetors with a Paragon Blade, excuse me, a Paragon Blade and a Caster and Power Axe. I mean, that was the trick, right? Every Praetor that we saw had Fist Power Sword because they're specialist weapons. Fist yeah. Axe for these yeah. guys is going to be like Lost the Mohicans. It's going to be amazing. Yeah. It's going to be great. And so many modern opportunities. We do get our own console type as well. Uh, Dark Emissary. So this is like Argonus in the um, in the novels. The person mm-hmm. who's sent out to spread the message of a war master. Um, 25 points. It's more useful in an allied force, which if I'm honest, I'm a little bit frustrated by that. Our console type is better in other people's armies. And that for me is a little bit frustrating. So in a allied detachment, the emissary and any Sons of Horus within that allied force gain stubborn. That's cool. Um, in a normal army, or as well as in an allied force, any traitor allegiance model within six inches increases their leadership to 10 when morale and pinning tests are needed. So in a that small bubble you're going to have a very, very strong leadership. And that um, staff, the staff of Dark Authority, can also be used in close combat, plus one strength, AP3, murderous strike six, so you can be doing instant death with it, And it, but it's unwieldy. They're not bad. You know, they, they really fit some of the later ideas of Legion where the horse is spreading his messages out. I'm just a little bit frustrated that they're better in other people's armies. Yeah. Just staring. Oh my the god. The Terminators that everyone else looked up to. Let's be honest, they were. Oh, uh, yeah. Get yes. some Cyclone missile launchers and we'll talk. Oh, sweet summer child. <laughs> so they are still got a very, very strong stat line. Most importantly, they've got a good leadership of nine. They've got three attacks base. They've got weapon skill five, which means in close combat, they are quite potent now. And a ballistic skill of five. So they certainly punch above their weight. 
They all come stock with Bainstrike combi bolters and the Caster and Power Axes, those special Power Axes for Sons of Horrors. But it's their special rules. They've got Relentless, so they can, as all Terminators do, they can move and shoot and charge at the same turn. They're bulky too. Great. Just they're in retinue, which means you can take them as a special squad for your uh, Warlords as a protector. And if your Warlord has Deep Strike, they gain Deep Strike as well. You can also give one of them a Legion Standard, so that will make them into a line unit. Just, you know, putting it out there. They gain Furious Charge 1, so they'll go up to Strength 5 on the charge, Strength 6 with a Caster and Power Axes. Um, they all count as Chosen Warriors, so they can all pick up those challenges, and they all count as Stubborn. Little things that you pick up, um, they still can take seven additional Jesterian in a squad. So they're still a squad, maximum squad size of 12, when most other Elite Terminators cap out of 10. It's a little thing. Oh, yeah. Yeah, it's a little thing, but, you know, <coughs> two extra Jesterian in a squad with four of us ascended. Yes, please. And make them corrupted. But we'll come on to that when we do our, our, our um, Prime Markov. Let's talk about Reavers. One of the most underused Legion-specific units in version one because they were massively overcosted. Now that's been quite largely redressed. Um, they've got a standard veteran stat line. So their weapon skill five, for instance, that makes them very potent close combat. Two wounds, two attacks base. The chieftain has three, and they're all a base leadership of eight. Now that's really useful because if your chieftain is taken out, they still keep a good leadership. Uh, they all come stock with bolt pistols, chain axes, frag and crack and power armor, chain axes, strength five with shred on the charge, or strength five and shred. We'll have that, thank you. Um, they all come relentless, so you can move and shoot assault uh, on the same turn if you've got something like a rapid fire weapon, which we'll come on to. Chosen warriors, so if you're challenged out, your chieftain doesn't have to accept the challenge. You can put in a regular grunt to take that challenge. They all come with counter-attack, one. So if, if you charge me, I'm still getting bonus attacks. A bit like, which one was yours? Was it your Angel Tears, Miles, who had counter-attack? Uh, yeah, the um, yeah Angel Tears. Yeah, and because we've got the Reavers have got bolt pistols and chain axes, they count as additional close combat weapon. So the basic Reaver, whether you charge me or I charge you, is going to have at least three attacks. Four attacks, sorry. They're going to certainly yeah, dish it out. Four attacks, yeah. And then what's significant is they all have precision shots six plus and precision strikes six plus. Now, we haven't talked about that previously. Precision shot or pre precision strike is on a to hit roll of a number in parenthesis, in this case six, I get to choose who takes that hit. So normally in an average game, the defender chooses where that hit is going to go, where that wound will be allocated. The precision shot, precision strike, the reavers get to choose. Oh, I don't like your, your apothecary because I want to get rid of the damage mitigation. That's going to go on to them. That power fist attack is going to go on to them. Oh, I want to remove your leadership bonus. I'll kill your sergeant without having to challenge him. So there's tactics you can do with that, which are really useful. Five-man base, they can go up to 15. They can go up to for an additional 15 for maximum squad size of 20. 
Bearing in mind, in Black Raven Right of War, they can go up, they have got the line subtype. So you can build an army around these. Um, any model can take a charnable weapon, a power weapon, or a power fist. So you can sprinkle those out. These are clearly have got a close combat focus. So why not sprinkle some power weapons in there, power fists in there? That means you can also put those um, Suntahora specific axes in as well. You will lose attacks, but you do get an initiative AP3 breaching five axe. So sprinkle those through. Um, they can also take for every five models of a unit either a flamer, a melter gun, or a plasma, or a plasma pistol. The advantage of that with a plasma gun is you have relentless, so you can shoot and still charge. They're not bad. They're, they're pretty good. As a set of rules, they're pretty good. I will talk about the negatives for them in a few moments. Let's get on to the characters. We have Malagust, the Warmaster's Equerry. Um, Fairly decent stat line. The key things with Malagus is he gains adamantium will 4 plus and will not die. So he's quite hard to take out. Dis despite his negatives, his weakened body, he can hold it out a little bit more. More importantly, the banner of the eye, any models he joins gain the line subtype and counts as a scoring unit. But most importantly, you cannot deny their scoring unless you have a scoring unit yourself. So a denial unit is a unit that can't score the objectives, can't grab the objectives, but you can stop a scoring unit from claiming it. So if I had Malagus in with a unit of veterans, they would have a line so they can score. If Miles put his Crimson Paladins near to that objective, that would stop me from scoring on a normal game. With Malagus, that doesn't count. Miles would have to put in a tactical unit or a unit with a line trait to stop that unit from scoring. And he gave an additional reaction in the shooting phase. Abaddon. Oh, we yes. We have lamented long yes. about Abaddon and his, let's be honest, faintly pathetic stat line uh, in version one. He has reclaimed his position. He's got weapon skill seven for starters. He's got four wounds, so one more than the average uh, special character. Five attacks, leadership 10. It's all sounding pretty good so far. He comes with a Bane Strike combi bolter. We've talked about Bane Strikes earlier. He has a Paragon Blade. He has a Chthonian Power Claw. Chthonian Power Claw? That's different. What does that do? Strength times two, AP two. Unwieldy specialist weapon shred mastercrafted. Jesus, that's a lot of stuff. Yeah, yeah and shred. Because, brutal. Because he's got that paragon blade, he gains the additional attack for two close combat weapons. So he's actually six attacks. <laughs> Go on, awesome. Mark. What were you going to say? Yeah, he's six attacks base, seven on the charge. Chthonian power claw in the unlikely event that you roll that one to wound, and by God, it has happened to me. Shred allows you to re-roll that. Yeah, and he can re-roll and miss because he's got Mastercrafted. And his precision strikes four plus. So you're yeah, well, let's, out let's talk because he has a whole yeah, raft sorry, of special rules. Mm. So he has, you know, Master of Legion. Um, he's got the Sons of Horus rule. So any attacks against him in the charge phase, whether that's him charging or being charged, are going to be minus one strength. Bulky two, and then Battle Hardened one. What's Battle Hardened? Miles, would you like to take Battle Hardened? Yes, so battle hardened 
uh, the parentheses gives you a plus one to your toughness when it comes to instant death. So yeah. say a- any normal uh, day of the week where a, a power fist is thundered into Ezekiel Abaddon, he would normally get doubled out because it's strength eight against toughness four. But they wouldn't happen because of Battle Hardened One. And because of the Sons of Horus special rule, there's a further mitigation because there's minus one. Is it, is it minus one to the strength or minus, minus one, one, to, one to the strength? Minus it's one, minus to, one strength. to the strength. So even yeah. a strength 10 weapon yeah. thundering he can, into him. He can be punched in the face by a dreadnought and go on, on the turn either the dreadnought charges or Abaddon's charge and go, is that it? Is that all yeah. you've got? Okay. Then, but did he now, not now, have Eternal Warrior before? No. No. He didn't? No, no. he he had what? um he had a special rule that in a campaign he couldn't die in a campaign. Oh, no. by and I just kind of assumed. Yeah, yeah, he doesn't have it now either. So a, a paragon blade can still take him out. Yeah. I mean, if anybody's an eternal warrior. <laughs> yeah. yeah. But we haven't stopped with his special rules. We're keeping going. So he's also got Fearless. He has Deep Strike. Remember what I said earlier? You can give Jesterin, acting as a retinue unit, Deep Strike if their Praetor has a Deep Strike. So he can Deep Strike him with unit Jesterin. Precision Strike's 4+, plus, so it means on to hit rolls of 4, he chooses who he's hitting. Uh, and he has a special Warlord trait called the Vengeful Spirit. So on a turn that he deploys as part of a Deep Strike Assault, he and the unit that he has deep struck in gains feel no pain four plus during the movement and shooting phases. So he drops in, people try to intercept him, he has a four plus rule. He charges in or shoots, people try to reaction fire back, he's gets a feel no pain of four plus. And because it's oh yeah, it's turn, so it's during the player's turn, and he gets an additional movement reaction phase as well. And then finally, we have Loken. Uh, yeah, let's skip over Loken. He's a dirty sort of traitor. Loken actually hasn't changed that much. Um, so his warlord traits and rules are basically a blend of two of warlord traits. So the loyalist warlord trait, where you gain bonus attacks against traitors, and the pride of legion, where he can gain re- uh, wounds back when he dies. He does come with a paragon blade now, which is slightly better than he had originally, and he's got a two plus arm save as well. So. Loken is a standard kind of Praetor, but he's also quite cheap. And that goes a long way in his favour. So, Abaddon's 250 points, whereas Loken's 175. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So, overall, overall, how would I rate them? Because I've asked the same questions of you two, so it's only yes. fair that I also answer the same question. If I was a new player coming into version two or starting Heresy from scratch... I would certainly be rating the Sons of Horus as, as a nine. They're, they're a solid nine coming straight in. People look at those rules and go, oh my God, they're fucking amazing. They are truly the War Master's own. We can see where strength has come from. From my personal viewpoint, and I'm stressing this from my personal viewpoint, and I've got no doubt this Legion is some of the strongest rules we've, we've discussed tonight, and certainly in comparison with some of the others, I'm actually going to rate them as a seven. Now, let me explain why. The Merciless Fighters rule, as powerful as it is, I actually prefer the original version one rule, which is at initiative step one, you could attack, you could, everyone who had already attacked that combat phase 
as long as you outnumbered the enemy, gained an additional attack. The reason I prefer that, it's not so powerful, because you certainly aren't bouncing instant death attacks, etc. like we discussed, but it just fitted the kind of mindset of the Legion, that kind of gang-fighting, wolf-pack mentality of we're going to drag you down because we're stronger than you. The other thing that kind of lowers it slightly for me is the Reaver squad. And once I said, again, I said this is from my personal viewpoint, Reavers used to have and always used to have, ever since they first appeared in one of the Black Books and they were adjusted in the Red Army list, shooting options. that You used to be able to give them all... Um, bolters or combi bolters or volkite charges they've completely lost that so the only way you can gain precision shots is with your bolt pistols they also lost the ability to jump take jump packs which also means in tactical terms they can't deep strike they can't deep strike assault and they're slightly slower moving across the table when the, the narrative for them is their development with despoilers and assault squads I would have thought keeping them that option of jump packs would have made a difference. Now, what I do think we were likely to get in the future, whether that's going to be a future supplement or one of the exemplary battles, I wouldn't mind betting we're going to get an adapted Reaver squad, which will have those options back in. Personally, for me, the reason I find it annoying is because I have models mm. built as yeah. Reavers with those options. And it's always frustrating when options are removed from existing units. If they come, if this was the first time I'd seen Reavers, I'd have no complaints about them at all. But for someone who's been using Reavers for the past eight years, six years, something like that, and has modelled them, it's a little bit frustrating to suddenly go, okay, guys, I'm sorry, you're on the shelf until we get new rules. That's the only reason why. So... The reason I've scored them like that, 7 out of 10 for my personal choice, is just because little things that don't quite match with how I think the Legion operates, but that's a personal opinion. Like I said, for someone brand new coming in, they are one of the strongest. Yeah, I get that. I get that, especially about the options being removed. I mean, no doubt we'll be seeing Catchel and Reavers. I believe yeah. that's how it's pronounced. Yeah, that's, uh, in that's the what I reckon we're going to get. Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, if we do, I'll be happy. I'll be happy. Like I say, I'm... I'm going to build some more Reavers anyway, using these new rules. So it's not as if I'm never going to use them again. Mm. It's just a bit frustrating the ones I have. I'm going to have to go, sorry, guys, you're waiting. But overall, Use them as vets. Use them as veterans. Can't take Volkite charges. My, as veterans, goal, really? Yeah, they, only one in five for, Vol oh. for veterans. Oh, that's so, such a shame. Yeah, so there we go. You know, like I say, for new people, it's amazing. For me, just personally, who's you know, stuck with Sons of Horus since 2012 with Black Book 1. I just think little tweaks here and there would more fit the Legion. But overall, those Warlord traits are amazing. The War Gear is so much better. Just staring as good as ever. Horus, as we'll see in a few minutes, is amazing. Um, but yeah, are we going to do the Primark off now? Yeah, yes. uh, I, I just, uh, just a quick comment. Um, I'm happy that all of that none of us are disappointed. Hmm. Um, and as we'll go through the legions, we'll see if anybody is. Thus far, I haven't heard too many people being like very angry about about the rules changes. A lot of the rules changes seem to be major, but without being like uh, like what I said before, like a little bit lateral, right? Adjustments, like they can be huge adjustments, but they don't make a legion better or worse. Which I think shows just honestly, like uh, you could see all the work that went into this. Hmm. Yeah, I mean yeah. it's it's impressive. 
But let's go into the Primark off. I guess I guess I'll start off with Pertorabo. Again, let's not make this too long because our, our, our objective our objective was to have sort of a segment where we talk about our first thoughts. Obviously, unlike uh, well, Miles got some games in. We didn't. Uh, Darren and I didn't. Um, and, and we just want uh, to, to start off a conversation and maybe later on go back and really go in depth. But I want to talk about Pertorabo real quick. A couple of really interesting adjustments as far as the stat line. So uh, right now, um, his old edition had weapon skill eight and uh, ballistic, uh, ballistic skill six. Now it's seven, seven. He went up to, oh. uh, it's a prime. They, they switched his, uh, his strength and toughness around, which I think is weird. In the new, uh, the old edition, his strength was seven and his toughness six. Now it's six, seven. I don't know, really know why. I always thought that Pertorabo seemed like one of the tougher Primarchs. So I like having the extra uh, toughness. Um, the big change in the stat line, and I think this is massive. And Miles, you'll remember why mm-hmm. he has six attacks now. Oh wow! As okay, opposed yeah. to four, because That's that was better. frustrating with with Pirabo. Yeah. Um, when the rules for Sanguinius dropped, Miles and I—I I was in the UK, and Miles and I—we we played like five rounds or five or six rounds between uh, mm-hmm. of just Sanguinius against uh, Pirabo, uh switching who got the charge and whatever. And and Sanguinius won every round, and uh, even even though Pertorabo like held his own and he kept concussing him, but the problem is Pertorabo just didn't have enough attacks uh, against Sanguinius, so he got worn down every time. Even though he's really really tough and powerful, huge change. The extra attacks are a huge change to make Pertorabo uh, back where he should be as the greatest Primarch. Maybe not rules wise, but still greatest. Um, I think that's a massive massive change. I'm a little yeah. bit sad. Oops. Yeah, and uh, okay, first of all, okay, uh, his main special rule is Sire of the Iron Warriors. Sire of the Iron Warriors is essentially this was the morale rule that I was talking about earlier. Uh, it allows all Iron Warriors to roll three dice for their leadership, um, against uh, shooting attacks and pick the two lowest. So it's a version of the morale rule, the old Rack of Ruin uh, rule that they had before. Fantastic, obviously, with morale being such a huge part of this new uh, version of the game, it's going to be great. I, I want to highlight. Uh, without uh, going through his special rules, he's got uh, Master of Automata, which is great. Firing protocols, uh, which allow him to use multiple weapons. Battlesmith 2+, Plus. he didn't have that before, although I think the logos did it. Oh, maybe not. Uh, but he's going to be able to fix vehicles. All great stuff. The main thing is he lost a lot of special rules. So right now, he has the logos, which is, again, like a little bit simplified, if you will. Um, it's providing him a 2+, plus armor and a 3+, plus invulnerable, which he had before, which is great. It allows him to ignore the effects of night fighting, which you talked about before, is 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 huge because uh, night fighting is brutal. He allows the interceptor advanced reaction without using a reactional uh, like a reaction cost, right? So if you yeah, use, it's just, yeah, it's the same as in all specs. Yeah, that's 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 great. That's like again, you you stick that well, you stick him with some tyrants, and and you'll shoot down uh, the thunderbolts that are trying to get at you. So all great stuff. The logos, the logos array, so the actual weapons in the logos. I haven't changed all that much. You still have, um, I think it might be a little bit better that the bolt cannons that he have that he has in his uh, like his wrists are assault six, twin link, shred, pinning, shell shock. Oh, we didn't talk about shell shock. What does shell shock do? Oh my god! So shell shock, the number in front in the parenthesis reduces your leadership for pinning checks. Beautiful. So again, yeah. So you get the theme for the Iron Warriors. There's lots of, lots of pinning. I'm actually really liking that. It'll be very effective. Also, uh, it, it went up in range. It used to be 24 inches. Now it's 30 inches. Logos is great. 
as far as the, the close range version of the logos before um, all he would do is give Proterabos attacks on his base profile AP2. Now it gives him plus one strength as well, but it's two-handed. So anyways, again, lateral change. Forge Breaker is uh, now strength 12 instead of uh, strength times two. So awesome. Um, AP1, uh, Melee, Unwieldy, Mastercrafted, Exoshock, and Brutal. What is Exoshock? Uh, Exoshock, I believe, is what weapons like the Neutron Barlaster used to have. So yeah, it gives you... you, if you cause damage against a vehicle, it gives you an additional uh, damage to it. Absolutely exceptional weapon. But here's where I'm a little bit disappointed. He lost almost all of his other rules. So more of the, the game manipulation rules, he can no longer calling reinforcements on the first turn. He no longer has his uh, bombardment. I guess those are the two main ones. Oh, and he doesn't have Tormentor anymore. But I guess there was no model for Tormentor uh, for the, the Tormentor. Nobody ever took him. Nobody ever took it. I know people that took him. I know someone that has a, that oh. built a Tormentor. It was cool. Maybe in um, um, uh, the book that's going to come out that uh, restores units that aren't in here. But it was kind of cool to be able to take uh, a shadow sword with that could transport models and also wouldn't count as a second uh, uh, Lord of War. Kind of sucks, but like I'm not too broken about this. But um, oh yeah, the other thing I, I noticed uh, the logos also doesn't doesn't give uh, Terminators deep strike anymore. So that deep strike, uh, the first turn deep strike that you could do with Pertorabo before, that's done. That's a shame. So. I would consider, and he's 30 points cheaper, but I think he's a lot weaker uh, on, on the aggregate uh, just because he lost some of those like more game manipulating rules. Um, uh, while still, when, when perhaps, you, I was going to no, say, when you say weaker, do you mean weaker in game or weaker strategically in game? Weaker strategically in game, as in yeah. he has less kind of manipulation for, for things like Deep Strike and, 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 and things like that. Um, uh, uh, man to man, man to man in close combat, he's better. He's better. Um, but again, the more strategic aspects, which I think was Perturabo's, we could agree that Perturabo, as much as he, you know, he's a close combat monster, but his his real genius is in the strategium. Yeah, no, I, I think we agree. And we see that in the law, don't we? He acts as, you know, the marshal of the traitor armies for a reason. So, and we certainly see that in the Siege of Terror books. I think it's also worth pointing out at this stage, there are some universal rules attached to Primark. Primark is actually now a character type or a unit type, isn't it? And also Primarchs yeah. are their own slot on the Force Organization chart. Yeah, that's true. So if you've got a big enough game, you can actually play and have a Primark and a Lord of War, which gets rid of some of those jankiness. Miles, um, do you want to go through the universal rules for a Primark? type yes um it's in a really weird place uh hold on let me see if i can find it quickly because it's not where i thought it would be um so they all have uh independent character eternal warrior fearless it will not die five plus bulky four and relentless um and they always count as character models uh they aren't affected negatively by any characteristic, well, they aren't affected, uh, none of their characteristics are affected negatively. And they always resolve, resolve snapshots that they normal BS. Uh, so any hits inflicted by a Primark as part of their shooting or close combat attacks are allocated by the Primark's controlling player. So all of their hits and shots are precision shots. Wow, that is 
huge. That's I mean, huge. That, that's yeah, big. Yeah, I had noticed that one. Freaking huge. And fundamentally, uh, I, they're immune to rad weaponry. Yes, yeah, they don't get uh, affected by, by negative uh, negative modifiers. I wonder how that, how that will uh, be affected with Horus. Uh, should we go on to Sanguinius? Yes. Okay, I'm going to make this super, super brief so we can give... Uh, because Horus is two Primarchs really we'll be looking at. Sanguinius, he is pretty much unchanged from the previous edition. On first glance, I was a little disappointed because he's dropped um, a weapon skill. He's dropped initiative. But when you read the other Primarchs, they've all had similar fluctuations. And when you take into account his special ability, his Sire of the Blood Angel, his Warlord trait, and the Blood Angel special rule, he gets plus one weapon skill on any turn he or anyone in the army with a with the um, jump pack assaults plus one weapon skill. Freaking huge. And they get naturally plus one to their um, uh, strength. So in most cases, Sanguinius is hitting on two plus or against his fellow Primarchs three plus and wounding on, depending on the weapon he takes. Um, one, there's a couple of really frustrating, really, really frustrating kinks. I hope they die out in this edition. The, his pistol, Infernus, it's assault to one shot, and it doesn't come with a pistol special rule. So he can't use it as an additional uh, uh, weapon in close combat. And it's one shot. I mean, is it so game-breaking that he can fire two melter shots at 18 range per turn? It's, it's a bit odd, especially when you <sighs> do have the ability for your Moritat to upgrade to Inferno pistols. It, yeah, it is unbelievably frustrating to read that. Um, Angelic Presence, again, uh, it's irksome because only models within six inches can benefit from this. And they add plus one to the total number of successful wounds caused by, for purposes of resolving uh, who's won the combat. Now, when you compare that against Logar, another highly influential, highly inspirational leader. It's anybody on the battlefield that he shares gains the benefit of that. So angelic presence being so limited to six inches, it's... Uh, Especially it, it, when we read, like, Seizure Terror, the effect he has on yes. such a large area. You know, he's flying around the walls to raise morale. And he's this huge, great angel. on the. T- yeah, it's, it's unbelievably frustrating, but... Um, Two little kinks there. Uh, I think his weaponry has changed for the better, though. The Blade in Carmine gets Rage to Rampage to Murderous Strike 5+. Plus, and given he can choose who he knocks off, that is very good. Shred, which is huge and mastercrafted, so he's re-rolling to wounds, uh, as opposed to the Spear of Telesto, which has lost instant death. Uh, again, it's, it's one of those things that's frustrating when you take into account multi-part models, but I do appreciate that you wouldn't necessarily want Sanguinius running through um, uh, Dreadnoughts like that. So, okay, it's it's a Why minor... For- uh, only Warlord Titans. Yeah, I was going to say, is, <laughs> yeah. it, is it only against Titans he can do that? Uh, yeah, I guess so. I mean, it, so Spears, Strength 10, AP1, Mastercrafted, Lance with Exoshock. So yeah, he stands a pretty good chance against taking out uh, a, a Titan. Um Moon, the, the other blade he gets alongside this moon silver blade, the significant change there is that it goes to AP2. But I don't want to say any more about this character. We want to go into a much more deep depth. So if you're reading Sanguinis for the first time and you feel a little bit let down, don't worry. You're not alone. 
take some time to consider how the special rules of the army, how his special rules affect him in the side of the Blood Angels. Do a quick recalculation, and you see he's not as underwhelming as you may first expect. He is still a very good Primarch. He just, unless he charges, um, he's a very subpar Primarch. And it's not how I imagine his rules translating from, from the law. But so I, I think it, you you have a similar similar thoughts than I do mm-hmm. that a, a lot of the army manipulation rules a, lo- a lot of like the, the broader like rules uh, were were not yeah, you know, so- seem to have been removed or uh, degraded whilst their actual combat power. So Sanguinius never really had much in the way of uh, the only the army aura. building. Yeah, I mean, the aura has always been six, uh, a six plus. I guess the innate aura that he has is much better now because the entire army gets plus one weapon skill oh, when okay. they charge, which is very, very good. Um, and it might go to explain like his inspirational status, whatever. He has lost the ability to take Dawnbreakers as troops in the army, but uh, I can kind of take it or leave it. Um, it, it was a nice benefit have but i didn't see many in the way of dawnbreaker armies and imagine an entire army of uh two wounded uh movement 12 save two plus assault marines i can understand why that was limited um i'm hoping that we're going to see um more situational rules for primarchs in uh future campaign books uh, but that, okay, we'll do a much deeper dive on Sanguinius when we do the Blood Angel Legion in in much much more depth. But Darren, please, oh Mike, over to you. Let's talk about Horus and the abomination that's been created. Yes. I, I hear he's not that good. <laughs> <laughs> Whereas you two are lamenting about your Primarchs, I'm sitting here <laughs> giggling over mine. Now I will say, like yours, my uh, Horus has lost some of those strategic. Ability, so he doesn't gain his orb bombardment. He's lost his ability to take Justerian or Terminators or veterans as troops. So that seems to be a common theme amongst all the Primarchs that those strategic changes they've removed. But his sheer combat ability has gone up, and he was already one of the better Primarchs of that anyway. So yep. Horus actually comes in two versions. You can take Horus Looper Cam, or you can take Horus. Ascended. So one is pre Moloch, one is post Moloch, effectively. We'll deal with them separately. So let's just deal with Horus Loop account. So, very similar stat line to everyone else. Weapon skill eight. It's not bad, is it really? Mr. Skill six, strength toughness seven, six attack, six initiative, leadership ten, two plus eight. Yeah. Um, he comes with Serpent Scales, Warmaster's Talon, Worldbreaker, a Cognis Signum, and Frag Grenades. Can't forget the humble frag. Um, <laughs> And he has a variety of special rules, some of most of which are unique to him, but he does come with Deep Strike, which is really useful. His Sire of the Sons of Horus Warlord trait doesn't just affect the Sons of Horus. Any model of the infantry type within his army, so that includes allied forces, gain plus one leadership and stubborn. Wow. That's, you know, that's... So we could take Militia and they'll all be taking plus one leadership and stubborn. 
Um, automata. Well, you don't want to disappoint the war master. No, automata. Yeah, no. Well, this is it. But you know, not automata because obviously they've got their own special trade. But yes, and that's exactly what it is. People are looking to him. So where Miles is lamenting about his lack of aura around Stinginius, Horus just has to be somewhere on the table. Doesn't even have to be seen. He just has to be known. He's on the battlefield at the time. You know, you Special mentioned rules. that, but like that, that, that should have been Sanguinius's rule as well. Oh, well, yeah, think. absolutely. It should have been, he should have, like he should have a mirror a, version yeah. of that rule. A table wide. Yeah. But anyway, this, this yeah, is Horus we're talking about. Horus is the man. Standard rules for him. He has master of war, but this, uh, this represents his strategic ability. Once per battle at the start of any turn when I'm the reactive player, I can activate master of war. For the duration of the rest of that turn on which that special rule is activated, I get plus one reaction in every phase. So my base reaction goes up to two in every phase with a maximum of four. That could be game game turning right there. Absolutely, that, yes. That one game turn where you need things to go right for you, you need to move things around. Yeah, that is. Yeah. Um Serpent scale, his armor gives a plus two, a two plus armor save, three plus invulnerable. So that's pretty much the same as the other Primarchs, particularly Perturabe. Master of weapons. So this is where he combines his fine Terran upbringing with his Catonian gutter brawler tactics. Um, I love this. In combat, he would use whatever means were required to gain the upper hand. Mm-hmm. So on a basic level, what it means is he can split his attacks between weapons. And he, you do that before you roll any to, have to hit rolls. So the fact he's got the Serpent Scale and Warmaster's Talon, the way I read it, that's two close combat weapons. So effectively, he gets an additional close combat attack. So he goes up to seven attacks. The oh, fact Jesus. you can choose between the two, because normally you, can, you have to pick one weapon at the start of a phase, and then you're stuck with that. So like earlier when we were saying about Praetors with a Paragon Blade or a Power Fist, you choose one at the start, you're stuck with that for that combat turn. For Horus, he can go, I'm going to do three attacks with Worldbreakers and three attacks with the um, Warmaster's Talon. What's more significant, I mean, Miles was very proud of the fact that against most Primarchs, he'll be hitting on threes. Um, (laughs) Horus can never be hit on anything better than a four, regardless of weapon skill. (laughs) That's so good. That's so good. Yeah. It's, so again, some of the best dueling Primarchs for us is just like, yeah, you're only going to hit me half the time. Let's talk about his weapons. Worldbreaker, first of all, his his power maul of status given to him by the Emperor himself, and then he used to bludgeon the Emperor into small, horrible chunks of meat. Uh, strength 10, AP2. That's not bad. Mastercrafted. Okay. that That's re-roll one hit. That's always useful. There's always going to be that one roll you hit. Sunder. Oh, hang on. So I'm re-rolling wounds against vehicles. Okay. Uh, unwieldy. Yeah. Okay. Never mind. That, that's a shame. Brutal two. So for every wound hit or every hit he gets through or every wound that gets through, he will cause two wounds. So he will strip down opposing Primarchs quite quickly. The Warmaster's Talon keeps his shooting attacks and his close combat for shooting. Range 24, strength 5. AP3, Assault 3, Twin Linked. That's all right. In close combat, Strength User, so Strength 7, AP2, Melee, Shred, D6. 
deflagrate. So it's lost its crippling strikes. Do you remember in your original rules that yeah. you could strip off weapon skill and strength for his opponent? That's mm -hmm. gone. But there's now an opportunity to cause additional wounds instead. So both of the both of Horus's weapons can cause multiple wounds in a turn per hit. <sighs> okay, yeah. Uh, I mean, we can already say that he's the best Primarch of the three. Uh, so yeah. that was the show. Thanks very much for no, listening, No, 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 guys. we haven't done. But, we haven't done because mm -hmm. now he gets to Moloch and he spends his experience points. Wait, <laughs> there's more. <laughs> and he, Horus, if you order Horus right now, you'll get Super Horus. So I'm really pleased to see this. And they haven't gone stupidly overboard, like I was concerned they could do if we ever got this version of Horus, but he's certainly quite good. So we have a small stats change. So he gains plus one strength, plus one toughness, plus one wound. So he goes up to strength, toughness eight, and wounds eight as well. But that's not all. He also gains some bonus rules. So he gains feel no pain four plus. <laughs> oh no, you got through my three plus initial, my three plus invulnerable save. On 50% of the time, I'll ignore that other wound you just done. Uh, rage three. So if he is out, and I looked this up earlier, um, now, Rage, oh, I did look it up and I've completely forgotten it. I think um, it's if he's outnumbered. Yes, he's, yes. It's, yeah. No, no, Rage, no, Rage is on the charge. Rage is oh, on the right. charge. So when he charges, he will gain three additional attacks. Instead of the plus one, that's right. Instead, Instead of the plus, of plus one, one. normal charge. Yeah. Yep. He also has a Dark Fate, the Power of Chaos Eternal, and Spreading Corruption. Let's deal with the easiest one of those first, which is spreading corruption. So this represents the widening of the chaos powers amongst the Sons of Horus. So what you can do with Chaos Ascended is every model with infantry, cavalry, or dreadnought unit types can be upgraded for 25 points to have the corrupted unit subtype. subtype. Well, what does corrupted do? Well, let's fast forward to the world to the world bearers, word bearers, sorry, and talk about corrupted. So what does that do? You gain fear one. We've already talked about how useful fear is. Any units with a corrupted type that are hit with a force or psychic focus gain instant death. That's not so useful. However, corrupted units are immune to fear, automatically pass regroup tests, and cannot choose to fail a morale check due to our weapons are useless. Um, they cannot fall back um if they fail morale check they don't fall back but suffer d3 wounds or d3 automatic wounds with no saves or damage mitigation rules so the key thing is they're gaining fear and they're automatically passing regroup tests and they're immune to, yeah completely immune to fear and they gain fear so it's not bad however that could be on a dread so you know not bad not bad at all would i do it for every unit no but you could sprinkle in one or two here and there could be a good way to do looper key, for example. What does mm -hmm. Dark Fates do? No, no, I'm going to save Dark Fates last, actually, because that's the one that's going to really get to Oh, me. you're enjoying this way too much. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> the power of Chaos Eternal. Once per battle at the start of any assault phase, whether that's Mir's the active player or the reactive player, Horus can activate the power of Chaos Eternal. Once activated... He increases his strength and toughness to 10 for the duration of the assault phase 
and ignores all the effects of unwieldy on attacks made with Worldbreaker. This is when he goes to town on the Emperor. Super Saiyan. Yeah, I was like, oh, that's a nice night. Hello. Or, hello, Mr. Warlord. Um, however, at the end of that assault phase, he automatically suffers perils of the warp, so that's D3 wounds, but they have to hit his unit before they t- hit him. So as long as he's got a bodyguard unit with him, that's fine. Jesterian will take those hits. And then they're still with Dark Fate. So let's imagine you've dragged Forrest down. You have swamped him with elite units. You've beaten him to the ground and he loses his last wound. At this point, I would be sad and a little tear would be rolling down my cheek. And then I suddenly remember, I have a Dark Fate rule. What happens there? I've lost my last wound. Oh, okay. I'll just place Forrest back into reserve with one wound. And then he can choose to re-enter play with me making reserve rolls for normal. If you have got Slave Warlord um, objective or any other objective that requires enemy warlord to be removed, you has, you still score those rules. Now, bearing in mind, he has the Deep Strike rule. So if he's in reserve, he could come back in as a Deep Strike Assault and then activate the Power of Chaos Eternal if he hasn't really done so. So just as you think you've finished Horus off, you've taken that last wound off him, he could come back. Now, that comes all with an incredible points cost. Uh, out of all of um, Miles, how much was Singinuous? So it's 485. How much was um, Pertrabe? Uh He was cheaper. He's, he's 425 now. He went down from yeah. 455. Okay, that's, that's great. Horus is 600 base and ascended, ascended is an additional 400 points. So you've got potentially a thousand points of Primark looking at you. That's a lot of Primark. That's that's more is, than a Warhound Titan. Although, is he worth it? Yes. Probably. Yes. Absolutely. Yes. Stop, yes. stop it. It's just, yes. Yeah. Yeah. How the hell did Sanguinius get the chink in his armor? <laughs> We've been beaten to death with... Even more. So the um, Horus Ascended page in the book Beautiful <laughs> cover art of Adrian Smith. And who's at the bottom? Poor little angel man. Beaten he to did death. his best. Yeah. He he get he he gets a participation trophy. Yeah. He 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 did his best. When you guys meet up later this summer, there you have to play this out. Well, what this says to me, if we've got the Horus Ascended rules, that's that's amazing. But you're only gonna use that in just circ- certain circumstances. Mm. What it suggests to me is years ago, when we have a custodies list, you had a look at Constantine Valdor, you looked at a little special rule on him saying it has to be the warlord unless the emperor was present. Yes. What Horus Ascended rules suggest to me is we are gonna get emperor rules. And what they've done here is they haven't made Horus massively psychic. They've given him other rules to represent the power of chaos flowing through him. So we know the, we know the emperor is going to probably use psychic rules, but is he going to have bespoke psychic rules? Is he going to have something significant? And we can also see the rough power level here. So you, we've got an idea here of Good what the emperor point. could yeah. be like on the table. So the you know ascended, it, it's the implications of what's coming down the line. Yeah, I mean. Obvious implications, Fulgrim ascended, yeah. uh, Angron ascended. But what yeah. I would also like to see, so with the upcoming uh, novel of uh, Echoes of Eternity, you have this classic story of Sanguinius holding, a, I think it's Eternity Day, a gate yes. for a day and night. 
how about if we can see like a sanguineous ascendage? So for just that very short period of time, he is able to take on uh, a bloodthirster, Angron, and then face down Horus. Not just any bloodthirster. Kabanda. Say yeah. his name. Kabanda. Respect. Like, doesn't respect him. He respect K-Man. On, on terror and spits in his face as he discorporates. But yeah, we can see scenario-specific rules a bit like um, uh, the the Raven Guard Primarch at Istvan Five, yeah. where he's all battered up and his wings don't work. I'd love to see more yeah. scenario specific versions of these, not only these Primarchs but characters in general, uh, come through. What I would like to see, I would love to see Horus ascended steaming through a pile of custodies. Yeah, I, yeah, yeah, that'd be beautiful. Yeah, I mean, it's brilliant. And I think for me, it's less what Horus ascended is on the table in the standard game it's more as we've been saying that future implication of what could we get in a future supplement and what are they building towards is it a possibility we're going to get a different sculpt for horse ascended mm. to represent the, the chaos oh i think you have version? to you, you have to and i'm hoping it's like it's it's in the old atrian smith pose yeah just yeah. like the I mean, menace yeah. of that pose right yeah so there we go. We have gone through our three legions. It's a long one. So apologies to the listeners, for, even by our standards, that was a long one to get through. But we've, we've oh given God, a good yeah. overview of our three legions and our three primarchs. Our first impressions, yeah. I mean, obviously only one of us is a, has used them in a live fire exercise so far. Hopefully this summer I'll, I'll be able to get in a few games with my sons. Um, I'm sure JP will try to get in a few more games soon as well. I think overall we're happy, as we meant, as you mentioned earlier, mm. JP. Yeah. Um, and I think this is a kind of a, a good starting point for us to begin our journey on version two with, because now we've gone through it roughly, we can start to see more of those rules interactions. It'll be those little tweaks, Wayne said. We did whatever. At the end of the day, we did what everybody else did. Is the first thing we did was we opened the book to see what happened to our legion. Yeah. I'm hoping this was enjoyable for everybody, um, and uh, we'll be right back. Painting black and other colors. And now it's time for Painting Black and Other Colors, brought to you by Lil Legend Painting Studio. And welcome back to Painting Black and Other Colours. Uh, now, this is going to be a really indulgent section, especially for Darren, because we're going to be talking about peer pressure and Darren to do a new faction for the Age of Darkness, World Eaters, because <laughs> Forge World have started producing these wonderful colour plates of World Eaters with a white and, black, a white and red scheme. They first and, um, appeared back in book five or book six. Yeah. and so There was seems- one colour plate. One colour plate, and that was tempting. How many do they have now? Let's crack the book open. Two. We've only had two so far. So we have, we've had a picture of a legionary wearing the bunny ear helm with uh, red shoulder pads and white armour. And then in the new Liber Hereticus book, we've got a picture of a vindicator, which is mostly white with red sections and some blue on it as well. Mm. Even the world is a colours. They have all these like brown blood stains. Uh, the armour is slowly being corrupted into red. We also have the red butchers. There's a painted red butcher in here uh, oh, with a red and white scheme. One. Yeah. I forgot about that one. 
And uh, okay, yeah, the, the fire rises. I've been chatting to a friend about this today, how it feels almost like we're in mid-heresy right now. I mean, I know you can play at any uh, particular time. This is just my own head canon here, but it feels like we've moved from early heresy into mid-heresy. And I think we'll be seeing a lot more red and white world eaters because of this. I think the trend for red and uh, white and blue is going to start to fade away, again, based on nothing other than a conversation I had a, a couple of hours ago. I would love, I would love, love, love to see more red and white armies. And if I were to paint a world eater army for myself, that is the scheme that I would use. How do you go about doing that? So, Darren, uh, do you own an airbrush? Do you use an airbrush? Uh, yes, I do. Yeah. Okay, great. So I'll aim the segment primarily at people with airbrushes because if you're listening to this, you go through certain filters to, to find this. One, you're in the hobby. One, you're obsessed enough with the hobby to delve into the horse heresy law. You're obsessed enough by the horse heresy law to find podcasts and listen to nutters like us talk about this, spend Sunday evenings talking about this rubbish. Uh, and then you might be interested in getting really good results from your army. That's where I come in in the segment. So the white, we've we've talked about the white in a few different ways, how to get the most out of your white. Well, white can be either cool or warm. So um, creating color schemes falls into, uh, well, it, it's quite a simple formula. It's the HSV color model. We have hue, which is the name of the color, red, blue, magenta, indigo, whatever. Saturation, which is how strong or intense the color is. So when you look at the World Eaters colors, the blue is quite desaturated in comparison to the Ultramarines blue, which is a very nice, saturated, rich blue. And then you have value. So that's the scale from black to white. Now, white as a color, well, it has maximum value. So there's not really that much we can do in terms of saturation or hue because those are predetermined for us. But what we can do is play with the warm warmth or coolness of the color. Now, my traditional scheme, in my old scheme, using um, uh, the white, I used to like adding a, uh, a cool underbase, so a very cool gray to begin with, over a black base coat, and then a warm khaki over the top and finish with an ivory. So my white would lean more on the warm side of the spectrum and it contrast nicely against the blue, which is a cool color. We can do the inverse of that with these guys. So we can use a warm base, so like a khaki base or black base coat. You use khaki, you can use thar brown, something, uh, or English uniform, something like that, just to bind over the top of the black base coat. Uh, then we can build it up with a lighter silvery gray. Silver gray from Vallejo would be perfect. But you can very easily detect or just train your eye to see these colors and being cool or warm uh, by comparing them against yellow or blue. Uh, so you put yellow and blue on your, on your palette and you can see the difference between them. So start with a khaki, work your way up through silvery grays and then finish with an ivory. Ivory is a scale, uh, sorry, ivory is a color from Vallejo model color. It is phenomenal because it has a very light value. It's really, really bright and crisp and clean. It has a, it leans slightly more to the yellow side so what we've done is sandwich the cool tone in between two warm, khaki warm, uh, silvery white um, uh, through the mid-tone, ivory up top. And that way, when you come to chip it, you can add pure white, which is a cold color, uh, on top to give it those really nice chips, uh, like three-dimensional effects. Or you could just come straight in with a dark gray and chip over the top. 
So we have the white covered there, the red. Now, the red used on world eaters isn't really a red paint. It's blood that's dried onto the surface of their armor that they haven't bothered to get rid of. So you can certainly start with a blue base coat for uh, the shoulder pads or wherever area you want to paint in red. But then I would recommend highlighting it alongside the rest of your uh, white. So, um, okay, let's let's just keep it simple. Let's just talk about the, the, the red. Blue base coat on top of a black base coat. It could be any blue because we're covering this up, the majority of it. We then add a white zenithal highlight with the airbrush. I'll come back how you do with the brush after this. And then over this, you want to put a really nice dark red. Now, the red, red can be a subject all in of itself. It's the start of the visual spectrum. There's a very, uh, it doesn't hold together very well as a color. So when you add white or black into blue, it turns into dark blue, it turns into white blue. When you try and do the same with red, it turns pink and brown. And this is important to remember because when blood dries, it takes on a brownish hue. So your red, you don't want too much magenta in it. You don't want too much orange. Instead, you want to take a nice primary red, something along the lines of an Antares red from scale 75, flat red from, uh, Vallejo, Mod uh, from Vallejo Model Color. Then you can add black into it. Now, if you're not such a big fan of mixing up your own custom mixes, that's fine. Uh, there is a new color coming out from Games Workshop, the contrast paint. I think it's called something like Gory Red. Darren, do you happen to remember what it is? Um, yeah, Gore Red or something like that. <sighs> Give us a couple of seconds, I can check it, because someone posted it to me earlier yeah. today. Because people have really been really helpful with this project. Thanks, everyone. <laughs> Everyone's really keen to help me. Rage Shade. Rage, okay. It seems like it's custom-made for the world eater. So Rage Shade can cover up that pre-shade you've created to give you that really gorgeous, gorgeous, deep brown red that you're looking for. Alongside this, you can add chips in the armor or what you could do. So if you haven't got access to an airbrush, that's absolutely fine. How do you build up the white? I would probably start with a gray base coat and you can buy things called smooshing brushes from uh, Rosemary Co. They're a UK brush manufacturer. Do them in, they do them in small, uh, medium, uh, large, and extra large. I would probably, I'd advise anybody to just buy the set because the extra large is really good for vehicles. But you'll primarily be using the small and the medium for this. Gray base coat. You can give the entire miniature a wash of... Um, a Payne's gray, so you need to, uh, that's an oil paint. It's a dark gray. Uh, if you don't want to use uh, an oil, okay, uh, you take your miniature with a gray base coat, you dry brush it white over the top, and the smooshing brush, it enables you to uh, dry brush a bit like an airbrush. So when you pass the brush over the top, it creates these really nice fades over the top. Once those fades have been created, work your way up to pure ivory, you can do the same with the shoulder pads and the backpack. Once that full pre-shade has been established with the smooshing brushes, you can then overlap it with the Raid Shade by Games Workshop, or you could take Tamiya Red and add a pinch of black to it, and you can stipple over the top of your miniature. So not only would this give you a really nice uh, bloodied, textured appearance, 
it dries like real blood. If you wanted the blood to look fresh, you could leave it on its own. If you wanted to make it look uh, dried on, like a lot of these pictures, add a layer of matte varnish over the top, and then you have the perfect basis to start building up your mid to late era World Eaters Force. So that would be the way I tackle the red and the white for that. Uh, now, Darren, with this force, would you look to include any conversions with it at all? I don't know. I mean, it's, it's literally just a, a, a pipe dream idea I've got. I, yeah. I always like the idea of Red Butchers as sculpts. I think they're gorgeous models. Yeah, I'm trying to think um, what other... Uh, so, uh, the you've got Rampages. To, yeah, you know, the, the guys with that come... Yeah, the impediments when it comes to a World Eaters army it tends to be chain axes. You can't get enough chain axes. Uh, now, you can buy them individually from a company called Conversion World. And as long as they glued on somewhere onto the miniature, they count as having chain swords. Uh, sorry, chain axes. They also come with uh, hand adapters that you can buy. Alternatively, uh, you could drill through the hand of your miniature. I know at the moment we have a lot of Mark VI Marines. They will come with uh, chain bayonets. And I do believe the World Eaters are getting new sculpts by the end of the year. I don't know if I'm going to see it. Yeah, they, they have said that World Eaters are the next um, 40k Chaos Legion to get new sculpts. So, for example, mm. this one's White Dwarf has got an updated arm list for them. But they have said that those sculpts will be coming, but we haven't got a, a direct timeline on them. But they have confirmed that new Berserkers, and they've they've shown off pictures of new chain axes, or sketches of new chain axes, which look rather nice. But we've got mm. no ETA on when they are available. So in the meantime, you have characters you can look at, Khan, you have Red Butchers, Rampager Squads, then Mark uh, Six Marines with Chain Bayonets. Uh, more than enough to be getting on with until hopefully we'll see a release of those uh, sometime in the future. Um, the Rampager squads actually come with a whole host of different weapons. You don't need to use them as Sidari weapons, Kidari weapons. Um, and then you can just use them as uh, uh, chain axe equivalents, I guess, as long as they're modeled appropriately. But that would be the way that I'd go about reproducing that white and red color scheme and especially what you want to concentrate on lots of chipping for them because they don't take much care of their equipment and lots of blood effects which can be easily created by using tamir clear red you could buy this a hobby craft it's quite easy to get and then adding a pinch of black ink to it and this dries this congeals like actual blood so you can stipple it on your miniatures you can paint it over your miniatures you get some really nice blood stain or you can flick it with the airbrush, pump up PSI, load up a brush with it, hold it close to the miniature, pull back and pray. And that is my paint in black and other colors segment. Fantastic. Boom. I'm kind of, I kind of want to do it now too. <laughs> yeah. I mean, the challenge is that bloody red, right? I mean, looking at the picture, it's stained in that red and then there's quite a lot of heavy chipping around it with light grays and silvers so even if you didn't own an airbrush you could you could create something like that with the new contrast paint coming out or any ink with a little bit of black so any red ink or red contrast paint with a punch of black added to it because as soon as you add black into red it turns it brown it discolors it 
if you want to have like an enriched red, you add magenta or blue into it. You start to add black, it turns into that muddy uh, red color that you can just plaster over everything. Oh, that's awesome. So, Darren, you, you doing it? Do it. I don't know. Do you remember yeah. one of last year's alternative heresy entries where the World Eaters got access to Elder bits and pieces? Vaguely? Yeah. Go go back and listen to that because I, I could be tempted to use a red and white scheme similar to that. So we're not painting white directly. I'm more painting like an ivory. Uh-huh. Yeah. Interesting. Leave it with me. It's a, it's a plan. It's, 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 it, there's, there's ideas forming. Or yes. how, for like just an ultra simple color scheme, take Halford's gray, spray over, Zenthal highlight of ivory from Vallejo model color, and then pin wash it with Payne's gray, uh, which is an oil paint that you can buy. Uh, it makes white pop like crazy. Uh, and then you can keep your shoulder parts on as you do that procedure. Uh, and then once you get that contrast paint, put that over the top of the shoulder pads, any areas you want to be red. And that would give you a really, you'd be able to bash out an army in no time flat using that. Thanks. Do it. All the help. (laughs) So JP's starting a new army for this, Night Lords. I'm starting a new army in the Sons of Horus. Seems only fair that you'd be starting an army. Small allied contingent. Yeah, I'm I'm tempted for a small allied contingent. It always starts that way. Small kill team. Yeah, I did the same with my just staring army. Only, Only 15 guys. Yeah, yeah, that's it. That's fine. That's, that's fine. All, that's all I need. I just need a couple of, you know, the first hit squads. is always free. Yeah, a couple of despoiler squads, rampager squad. That's mm. how it all starts, isn't it? And then you add Khan and everything. So I think Khan's yeah, okay. a nice model. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Thank you. Thanks for that. Great. Let's move on to the next segment. <laughs> Sorry, all our listeners out there, please add peer pressure to Darren's multiple profiles online. Don't be afraid to even. If you see him in the street, if you see him yeah. at an event, feel free to go up to him and tell him to start his world eaters. Peer pressure is a powerful drug. Peer pressure. It's very powerful. Lurking at the edge of Augur Range, running silent, the Iron Heart and its fellowships of the Vanguard began to move. Lurching from engines almost cold to full burn put significant strain on the flagship, the pain of which resonated throughout its hull. The bridge was still shuddering, awash with crimson light as the Ironheart and the rest of the Vanguard emerged from the radiation well of a dying star field to launch torpedoes. Og, asked Medusa, as the missile streaked into the void, tiny thrusters blazing. The unyielding glory, Faramon bowed, and Gorgon's will have all launched. That was Urkelfeld, Jackus, and Lumak. Across the hololith, a myriad of small markers designated the three torpedo spreads. The ship segregated from the Sons of Horus flotilla increased power to their shields. The telltale energy flare registered on the Iron Heart sensors. We have their attention, War Leader, said Nikosa. Medusa nodded, calculating as the tactical situation evolved before his eyes. Enemy fighters inbound, added the Sorgal captain. A swarm of smaller signifiers appeared on the hololift, rushing on an intercept course with the torpedoes. Retaliating kind, said Medusa, and Mikosa signaled down to the fighter bays. A second swarm in opposition to the first flashed up on the battle sphere. Three of the enemy vessels turned to engage the vanguard, moving with glacial slowness. It would take several minutes for the payloads from the Iron Hand's ships to reach their targets, and the Sons of Horse pushed their engines hard to avoid the torpedoes, not trusting entirely to their interceptors to neutralize them. The other two, an escort and a destroyer, never deviated course, but drove harder for the retreating Sorod. The storm crew had already breached engagement range, 
in an exchange of lance fire to be begun. At the coreward facing head of the flotilla, the other Sons of Horse ships started to adopt defensive postures. At such distance, however, it would take time before they could reach even maximum weapons range. Medusa knew he needed to exploit that. Increase power to engines, he said calmly. Prime main weapons batteries and intensify forward void shield strength. We shall hit these bastards like a damn hammer. Orders were heard and obeyed. Forward laser batteries and lances quickly charged to optimum across the vanguard. All that they had suffered, the death and the dishonor of scurrying around like whipped dogs was gone. No more, Medusa vowed. The Iron Tenth would be reborn. He raised his head, vindicated, vengeful. Open fire. All right, welcome back to Tales of Heresy. Today's Tale of Heresy is our second episode on uh, Old Earth by Nick Kime, um, which I think we're all very much enjoying. So does anyone have an efficient synopsis for like the second half of the book? The book is roughly 450 pages. So we've been doing like 150 hours, uh, 150 hours, 150. <laughs> it's not gonna be that long in episodes, guys. Um, it's gonna be 150 page like blocks kind of thing because it's not separated by acts. So does anybody have kind of an efficient synopsis for the middle part of Old Earth? Trust no one. Ooh, God damn it. Yeah. Darren is getting really good at this. Yeah, I was thinking, how do you condense? Because they're two very separate, uh, three very yeah. separate storylines. How do you condense it down? But yeah, trust no one. Perfect. Okay, well, you know what? I, <clears throat> I We're just going to go with that because that's fantastic. So yeah, this is a story about mutual distrust, fundamentally. Um, and, and you have... A sort of distrust in 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 the three storylines we 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 had um, established, like the three primary uh, storylines. Two of them kind of merge in uh, the second part of the book. So let's start with the one that doesn't merge. Uh, the, where do we get to with the storyline uh, about uh, Eldrad? Good old Eldrad, Seer the Elder, has turned against the uh, Cabal and has recruited a religious zealot to help him out, which is good old Neric, because, you know, what's a good story hunting perpetuals if you don't have Neric? I mean, who are you going to hire for this? There's one person that's definitely shown that he's good at killing perpetuals. Yeah, everyone's got to have a specialism. Uh, so, yeah, we got and we got to the point where, yeah, he recruits um, Neric, and they go off on, on their adventure, and it's not quite clear where they're going, but Obviously, you can tell that, yeah, the, the, the goal is to kill all the perpetuals. <laughs> Interestingly enough, not all of them, though, is there? Um, and, and Eldred does justify why killing the perpetuals is a good idea, because it evens out the strands of fate. Because yeah. every time um, a perpetual does something, it alters fate. So by removing those perpetuals from the Great Weave, if you want to use that term, um, it straightens things out. And it makes things look better, but not all of them. Not all of them. There are a few that he wants to keep around. Um, one being Grammaticus, but Grammaticus is currently imprisoned by the Cabal. And the other isn't mentioned by name, but if we've if you've been reading the other stories around the perpetuals, you can work out his old Pearson. Yeah. Which for those of us who are up to date with the siege are starting to see what influence old Pearson has on the story. 
Excellent. And we'll come back to that uh, when we treat it. Actually, we might just treat it first, but the, the, the two other storylines uh, do sort of uh, connect uh, in, in the second part of Old Earth. So one of the storylines is, uh, well, Vulcan. Obviously, you can't have a Salamander storyline about Salamanders. Uh, so Vulcan's back again. Well, actually, yes, you can. You can. But previous book we looked at was an entire story without Vulcan, apart from his body. No, no, I mean without salamanders. You got to have oh, some okay. salamanders. Yeah. Well, you're right. You're right. Yeah, you could have a story without Vulcan. But Vulcan's back. Vulcan is back. Vulcan's do, do, do not call it a comeback. He's been coming back for a while now. So um, uh, so, so Vulcan, last time we saw him, um, he had been going through Comorog with his, uh, what are the, 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 the sword? Draxward. Draxwards. So his like three little buddies. Uh, and they've been, um, they, they went through Comorag. They got attacked by this like demon, not this demon. Was he a demon? No, that was Karundra. He's a special character from a dark elder. Okay. Uh, book. Uh, he's the, uh, sort of like half naked dude in the kimono with a big oh, sword. And yeah. forearms. That dude. So yeah. So they get attacked by uh, dark Eldar and, uh, they managed to get out of it. Uh, and then, uh, all the dark Eldar start like coming up in skiffs from from Comorag, but they managed to escape uh, through the storm, but who knows where they went? Um, the, the, because, you know, I guess the way it doesn't really operate with much logic either. It's kind of like the warp, but sort of like the order version of the warp. You know, there's always this, this tension between order and chaos. So, like, this is also is a place that that is... How is it described in the law that um, it's uh, a fine it's piece from- of silk draped over something horrendous? Yeah, it, <laughs> like that. Um, uh, it's like a, a very thin sliver of whatever you want to call it between two realities. Vulcan manages to uh, to escape um, on his ship, um, which is is this? Uh, it's a Stormbird, right? It's Thunderhawk. It's a Thunderhawk. Oh yeah, that's right. They yeah, do specifically just, say that, right? And the third storyline. What's the third storyline? It's Shadrach Medusin, where he's trying to rebuild the shattered. 10th Legion back into a cohesive force. He's fed up with them being shattered forces and operating in small, effectively terrorist cells, and he wants to reform a legion. And he's being hunted by Tybalt Marr. And who is he? Tybalt Marr, he is one of the captains of the Sons of Horus. He's the the only one who's recognised the threat of the Shattered Legions and the, the damage they're causing behind the lines as the traitors are advancing towards the uh, towards Terra and Beta Garmin. So he has been tasked by Horus to hunt down and destroy, in particular, Shadrach Medusa, who seems to be the linchpin around what all the Shattered Legions are forming around. Hey, he's going to take his head. Yeah, a, a spit up operation. Who would have thought the Sons of Horus would operate like that? It's it's really not their, their style. Um, and where did we leave off this storyline? We left it where Tybalt Marr had been inspecting a world that the 10th had just raided, and he seemed very pleased that the, the 10th Legion had taken everything from that planet. Yeah, and that everything includes uh, a detailed set of, of, of I guess, um, supply routes that, I guess, Medusa was very happy to find. Yes, and of course, Tybalt was also very happy uh, that he Min- found him as well. Many legionaries died to, to get this information. <laughs> <laughs> and yeah, for those that can't read between the lines, it's a trap. So uh, oh, that's where we left. Like, you want to? Which storyline do you want? We, uh, I, I, we should probably start with the Eldrad sort of uh, storyline because the other two kind of merge together. 
Yeah, the Eldrad storyline is also the quickest, isn't it? Oh yeah. yeah. Well, it's it's just a bunch of like assassination operations. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so uh, unlike last time we chatted, I actually read the book this time. Um, <laughs> read read the book. <laughs> read. I had it read to me uh, when okay. I was painting, so it's um, passive understanding of what happened in the story. Uh, so I'll do my best to like place it together. You're but... already getting better marks than last time. Yes. Like, yeah. I th- Remember, you get degrees. I'm already getting my uh, excuses in early, but Eldrad, yeah, goes on a bit of a killing spree. And um, I, I mean, one of the uh, one of these that really stood out to me, I remembered this from the first time I read it, was the uh, Prince in Repose. I love the arrogance of that um, title. And just this entire scene reeks of just how interminably arrogant of a species the Elder are. How deservedly uh, so? Uh, for once, rulers of the universe. Yeah, why not? But yeah, yeah this. Yeah, guy, but like he, things get went horribly wrong due to their own hubris. I don't think they have a right to be arrogant right now. Frankly, they're just hiding out and trying not to get murdered during this war. Again, you know, have a little humility. So the fact he's calling he's calling himself prince is a big indicator to this guy. He's very much sort of like pre-fall mentality, vect comes much later on and he smashes the the courtly system and he sets up a bunch of uh, like crime syndicates in the cabals but yeah this prince is very much a product of pre-fall elder and the, the method and the way of thinking of how humanity are going to reach a point where they gain psychic ascendance and we're going to have another psychic holocaust on our hands so his solution to that problem uh, is just wipe out humanity wholesale and he is a member of the cabal uh, who falls very firmly in that camp. And as he is reposing, as he's, as he's chilling in his uh, crib, he is infiltrated by uh, Eldrad and by Marek. How did he How did he sneak Marek in? Because he said, like, I'm, I'm not surprised you got in, Eldrad, but how did you uh, sneak that thing in? Uh, he puts him as one of the guards, doesn't he? And he yeah. psychically masks him. Oh, no, it's actually Eldrad is one of the guards and he gets picked up on and he blanks out Neric's soul That's signature, right. as it were. Yeah. Um, but there's a counter trap, isn't there? Because a bunch of Harlequins also appear on the side of the, uh, of the prince. So you have this nice counter ambush that goes in here. Yeah. Yeah, the, 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 it's always a pleasure reading about Harlequins, just how daft and silly yet weirdly threatening they are. Uh, so a big fight ensues. And Darren, do you want to take us through how the conclusion of, of that, how, like how the Prince of Repose is off? Um, yeah, it's just Neric butchers everyone because he's an Astartes going in. <laughs> he's taking a gun into a knife fight. So all <laughs> Harlequins, being Harlequins, will fight with finesse and style and, you know, try and make things look good. Neric is just there to butcher things and Eldrad he's no slouch you know this yeah. is not the same Eldrad that we have 10,000 years later on who's like a wasted body and can barely do things and he's relying on his staff you know he's a, wait he's is, is he really I remember him I guess I haven't played against Eldar in a long time but I remember Eldrad being quite powerful and like he used to be able to like defeat entire army in second edition like with just using psychically Yes, psychically he is very powerful, but what we see Eldrad in 
this novel is physically very powerful as yeah. well. He's going toe to toe with Harlequin. Well, he's ten thousand years younger. I mean, yeah, absolutely. You know, age comes through us all. Um, but yeah, it's really good. And what I quite like is you don't see everything in this scene. It's one of those scenes where it cuts off a certain point and leaves the rest to your imagination. I think. Uh, I mean, you can see Kaim progressing as a writer here. That he doesn't need to explain everything in excruciating detail. They yeah. can leave these skiffs off to leave it to your imagination. Yes. Yeah. So that's one That's one dead. Um, the next one is uh, this perpetual that he's one of those guys that has like, like John, John Romaticus that, that has had lived like a million, like not a million. He's lived dozens of different lives. And this is really cool because it shows you that there's different types of perpetuals, which I didn't really, un- which I guess I never really noticed. So this dude is on this hive world, brilliant description of a hive world that is expecting, that is on, yeah. under full mobilization and uh, is expecting an attack uh, by horse any day. So you have this wonderful description of, of going through like where there should have been life, where there should have been, um, uh, where, should, where there should have been street vendors and and like everybody has been like conscripted into the, in, into the labor force just to pump out munitions for, for, for the war. This you, you you get all your grimdark that sometimes we don't get from from this particular series. I guess it's nice seeing like the granular knowledge of how he in, and how he goes about living his yeah. life. He goes through these cycles um, and how every like 60, 70 years or so when somebody remarks, oh, wow, you look young for your age. He has to go off yeah. world, change his posture, change his uh, facial uh, style, then come back and, and yeah, just renew and start again. Yeah, everybody eventually figures out that he's not normal. <laughs> yes, the Highlander yeah. problem. Well, that's cool. I thought that was a nice it, detail. Yeah, it, it is very Highlanderish, isn't it? Um, and it is, but it's a bit also how he has to change his entire posture and body language mm. and patterns of speech because people start, like you say, recognize him off world. And this is part of the reason why he's having to leave now, isn't it? And the description we get in this scene, because he's risen to effectively the head of local arbiters, hasn't he, in this? Mm-hmm. Yeah. And he's using the entire local arbiters division to protect himself. And he's sealing himself into a bunker. Oh, he's being hunted. Know, the, he knows he's being hunted. Yeah. I mean, you've got the blast doors closing behind him. Oh, it's great. Yeah. He tells him, he tells him, no, you use, use the last gutters, like seal it shut, like melt it shut. Everybody and they're breaking out all weapons. the heavy war gear. Aren't they? yeah. They're breaking out all of the bolters and everything else. And he seals himself away into this inner command centre, doesn't he? And he can hear the fighting through sealed blast doors. <laughs> well, it's so great. And, and eventually, like, the sounds of battle start dying out as, like, all the, uh, all the Arbides are getting, you know, uh, slaughtered to a man. Yeah, and you've got frag grenade blasts going off and horrible wet sticky sounds start start (laughs) emerging. (laughs) And how does he actually get done? Eldred pops through a wet way portal inside the room and just stabs him in the back with a witch blade. So Neric was just being used as a distraction carnifax. But it does show what <laughs> one Astartes can do, doesn't it? One Astartes against an entire company of Arbuses. Yeah, but that's the other thing. I thought that was Eldrad because they were describing how like uh, unnaturally fast he is and how like skillful and uh, uh, nimble and athletic and all that. It's like, I figured that was going to be Eldrad, but no, 
That's just how good Derek is. Yeah. Yeah. He, he's, we know he's above average for an Astartes anyway. Um, yeah. But you but know, this is the, this is possibly the only Astartes in the galaxy right now that has actually killed a Primark. Primark came back, but he did kill him. Yeah. Mm, yeah. Cheated. Cheated. <laughs> and he, and he's also the second Astartes that's left a weapon in a Primark. That's true. That is true. Uh, a blade was left in uh, Conrad Kerr's one time. I imagine he got that one out. Conrad uh, Kerr's was fine. He probably barely noticed it. But Vulcan actually went down from Narek. So, yeah, this guy does not screw him up. Again, if Eldrad is going to hire uh, an assassin, and this whole uh, discussion, right? It's like, what, don't the Elder have assassins? Like, no, I need I need someone else. Also, the Elder's yeah. not talking to me right now. <laughs> yeah, his entire to... race disagrees with him. That's why I had such yeah. a problem dealing with the prince in repose yeah. uh, he described as a race traitor or, or something like that but i should probably switch up that terminology um so when the prince in repose had had such a problem with him he described eldred as being a traitor to the entire elder race and the, yep. the idea of them for like going against the orthodoxy that humanity is getting its comeuppance and should die Hmm. He's saying, it's like, well, no, there's some good parts of humanity. And we get that. This fits in really well with what we know about Eldred later on. Because he really is, if humanity has an, an, an elder ally, it's, it's it's Eldred. And he shows up a few times to help out. Obviously for selfish reasons, but, you know. he's Yeah, I was, I was going to say, he's not doing it for the good of the human race. He's doing it to preserve Yoda for longer. But that, Did he also, like, divert an entire, like, high fleet into uh, the Imperium to save, like, one elder life or something? <laughs> Yes, yeah, so that, that's what we call acceptable losses. <laughs> um, but no, I'm not saying he's altruistic, but he also thinks that he does mention that he thinks that there is some potential for humanity, that, it, that, that uh, the extermination of humanity will not necessarily save the, the galaxy from chaos. Also, a lot of the problems that are caused right now are because of the Eldar, right? Like they can't just blame humanity out of this. They created an entire god. I'm not getting involved in this conversation. Yeah, I know you don't. <laughs> All right. So, what's the next assassination mission? Who do they go after? This they, they brought back a. Oh yeah. Uh, by the way, uh, that that guy that was uh, that was like killed finally. What was he doing right before he was killed? What was he trying to do? He was trying to warn John Grammaticus. Yeah, he's trying to warn John Grammaticus, and who is the next one on the list? Because <laughs> he's the last one. It also suggests he's one of the last ones as well. Oh yeah. Because the, uh, the guy who was trying to send the signal had actually tried to contact some of the other people oh, couldn't get through. And this was so interesting because the guy that was, that was, what the hell was his name? I think he had many names. I don't think it matters. The Perpetual that just got assassinated. Um, again, this is the first time we see him, but uh, Eldrab reflects on that uh, of the different types of Perpetuals. This one was just immortal. Uh, he, he, he was immortal, lived lifetimes, but uh, he, he did not have the ability that Vulcan and Grammaticus have to come back after being killed. Like he dies, he dies once. Grammaticus is a more powerful version of that in that he can die and be resurrected. Inevitably be resurrected. Like Grammaticus himself uh, mentions that, uh, like after we first see him in Legion, that he hopes that the, that the Cabal will finally let him die. Although that has now been removed. So at the end of um, Unremembered Empire, that ability has been removed because where Grammaticus has betrayed the Cabal, they, That's remove, right. they they tell him this is now your last life. That's right. I forgot about that. Whereas the guy now, let's move the story on slightly. The guy, because Grammaticus is being held effectively now in a prison, 
a, a prisoner of his own mind as well, where he cannot remember anything of the wider world and is being guarded by another perpetual. This other perpetual seems to have the ability, a bit like Wolverine, to heal very, very quickly. Because at one part, of, when it all starts kicking off, he's hit with a, a bolt round or he snaps his ankle and it starts to heal in front of Eldrad and Narek. So it does kind of suggest that different perpetuals do have different abilities. Yeah. We know Grammaticus also has this linguistic ability that he can replicate any language that he's heard or seen or read. Yeah, that's right. So uh, Eldrad points out the difference between um, this one guy that, uh, that, that that was killed who just had the power of mortality and those that can actually just regenerate um, and those that just have multiple, multiple, you know, infinite lives, as it were. Um, so I thought that was an interesting detail and I hadn't really thought about it much before. But Vulcan has like all of those things. I, I guess the Emperor also has all those things. Potentially, yeah. For, I think the Emperor has... It, 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 uh, I think the Emperor has it will not die. Is what I'm saying. <laughs> yeah, more, more than likely. Okay, so in this part of the book, uh, we'll talk about the, the, the next part of the assassination because that's... Uh, or Sorry, the next uh, assassination because this is a very important character that is being murked. Yeah, because it's one of the Cabal's top assassins, isn't yeah. it? Um, and we have come across him before. We've come across him in Unremembered Empire because he was tasked with helping John to end Vulcan, um, which we know doesn't quite end the way that they originally planned, the Cabal planned. Um, so instead, as kind of a, a punishment for both of them, he's set to look after Grammaticus while Grammaticus is, is in this prison of his own mind, isn't he? Oh yeah, and this was going to be a hard one because this this um, what the hell's his name? Hammett Hashet? I think it's Hashet, isn't it? Gahet, Gahet. So uh, Gahet is particularly powerful. We see him the first time in Legion, in the book Legion, so many many years ago. Um, and he's a powerful psyker. So Eldrad climbs the mountain to to climbs the mountain to like uh, to 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 face him, and Gahet just kind of like. You know, chokes him out and 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 attacking him with psychic powers, like and by that they're having like one of those like sword fight kind of like conversations where it's like, don't you understand that humanity must be destroyed? It's like, no, there's some you know worth in humanity and uh, the the cabal's wrong. It's like the cabal's not wrong, all this kind of thing. And then suddenly from behind him, he gets eviscerated with a witchblade. They pulled off. They pulled it off again. Yeah. But to, uh, to be fair, Narek and. Eldred work really well together. Yes, they they really balance out each other's strengths and weaknesses. Because yeah, because if he had done that, that guy was talking about us like I didn't realize that you were going to be so hard to kill or something like that. And it turns out it wasn't him. It was it was Narek that was sort of wearing. It's a falsehood, isn't it? He yeah, it's a falsehood, a falsehood, right? So he looked like, uh, and then um, that's when Eldred comes in from behind and eviscerates him. Because uh, I, yeah, I, I think the implication is that like if. Uh, Gahed had actually made those force attacks uh, on, uh, or those psychic, psychic attacks on 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 Eldred. Eldred might not have been able to uh, tough it out because Gahed's a really really powerful psyker. But they managed yeah. to uh, to murk him too. They, you know, they are certainly working their way through the list. They have a list, and they are successful at what they are doing so far, aren't they? In fact, by the time they rescue Grammaticus, they do point out Grammaticus is the final point on their list, and they are now ready to move on to the next stage. Yep. Which we'll see in the final part when we talk about in the final section of Fold Earth. Yeah. So leaving uh, the Eldrath storyline now, uh, they've managed to uh, start cutting their way through the Perpetuals. You have a better idea of what Perpetuals are. 
frankly, I think this is it's just a fun storyline. I have nothing negative to say about this. Let's move on to the other two storylines, which will intersect here and essentially become the main storyline. I think you'll all agree. Yeah, and out of the two, very much in this section, the main one is Medusa trying to recover the Legion, isn't it? Yep. That, that, that's very much a big emphasis. And he's having quite a bit of resistance to do this, isn't he? I mean, it seems that a lot of the captains, particularly the Terran captains, are very much behind him, and the younger legionaries are very much behind him. But opposing him are the Iron Fathers. So who are the Iron Fathers? Old curmudgeons who cannot deal with change. (laughs) Exactly. That's perfect. Um, Yeah, I I mean, that's exactly... They were the ruling council of the Iron Hands. Uh, They were tutored, fostered by... Ferris Manus. I guess these are the legionaries that uh, we assume to fig- figure this out through their actions, but these are the legionaries that were driven mad by the loss of Ferris Manus because the credo which they lived by was one of strength. Ferris Manus was ridiculously harsh, not as hard as Perturabo, granted, but he was ridiculously relentless with this legion, very harsh on them. If a company wasn't performing well, he would. Uh, he wouldn't like physically kill them, but he'd break them apart down to the constituent parts. And those uh, units would be spread out into different companies. If they worked, great. So the great companies, they gained people through uh, efficiency. If you're efficient at, at leading a unit, your, your uh, company would grow. The problem comes when Ferris Manus, the fountainhead of your strength, is slain. What does that mean? How does your ideology survive that? And we're about to find out how exactly that ideology changes and warps and becomes something completely creepily new in this story arc. Um, And one thing I do want to draw attention to as well, it's um, the... uh, So nobody's right in this universe. Nobody has like a... Nobody's objectively right. You present your points of view. And the points of view of the Iron Fathers that the flesh is weak. But you frequently see during the course of this narrative that the bionics twitch and they malfunction and they they don't operate the way they should. So their point of view is that the flesh is weak. We need to remake the Legion as something stronger than it was before. But that ideology has led them to this point is breaking down, is physically breaking down in their bodies. So you have a very entrenched old view coming slap bang up against the new view of Medusa, who wants to alloy all the Shattered Legion into one new thing. And you're starting to see the Iron Hands also accessing some of the, the banned technology that Ferris Manus wouldn't let them have, let them have like the keys, the keys of hell. Yes. The, um, what, how do they refer to it? Techno-necromancy, something like that? Yes. Um, I mean, it might be worth exploring what exactly the keys of hell are or were. It's reanimating the dead, effectively, isn't it, using technology. <laughs> it's keeping them on the point of death, but they lose a lot of their higher functions. So I think this is part of the technology um, that if you if it's found on a planet, the emperor would immediately send custodies or spear tip and demand it be given over to him. And if it's not, the the community or the... Uh, the people there just wiped out wholesale. But the, yeah, emperor, uh, the emperor's not here, is he? Uh, but I think it's that style of technology. It's expressly forbidden 
by anybody outside the imperial household. Uh, even oh, it, Astartes, even Primarchs weren't allowed access to this technology yeah, because it, it is dark, dark age stuff. Yeah, it, it, Ferris Manus turned around and looked at it and went, no, absolutely not. We're locking that away. You're not having that technology. Because there are suggestions that Ferris Manus was uncomfortable with how his legion was going, wasn't it? That there are, when you look at some of the early stories, some of the great crusade stories about Ferris Manus, there are suggestions he doesn't like how obsessed the Iron Hands that start to become with things like bionics and the flesh is weak syndrome, that he's trying to try move them away from that. And um, what I do like in this section as well is that we have a black shield force, the Red yep. Talons, who we know Led later by Ortec on. Moore. Ortec Moore, yeah. And who'd later become a second founding chapter. Yeah, and he does not like Medusa. Actually, Medusa seems to really have a command problem where most people are not following him or, or, or very skeptical of his commands. So this whole section starts off with, with remember, well, we talked about how uh, Medusa had taken the bait, right? He, he would plan this giant offensive to destroy a major uh, um, uh, Sons of Horse flotilla. Uh, and there was more than one spike. There's several spike envoys. And he, he wants to start like destroying them and truly taking the fight to the Sons of Horus. And, and of course, he's getting a lot of resistance uh, because, again, as, as Miles put it, the command structure has been fractured. And everybody kind of wants to do, do their own thing. And Audit Moore is the best example, the Red Talons. Like they will, he will not take Medusin's orders. Uh, yeah, the, one of the throne, the throne is empty. I mean, you have yep. the Salamanders who don't have uh, Vulcan. You have the Iron Hands who have quite a significant amount of their legion left. It's just they can't find the. Uh, it was just the first ahead. company that was destroyed. Yeah, yeah, they they're practically intact. It's just they haven't got a head. Excuse, excuse the pun. <laughs> <laughs> oh come on, that's just mean. I read the book. Yes. Uh, yeah, so, I mean, but you can kind of understand it from the other point of view, right, that these legionnaires, why should they listen to Medusa? I mean, who the hell was he before well, what, Istvan? What also makes it bad for Medusa is he's Terran. He's not from yeah. Medusa. So you, yeah, they love we've already to remind him of that. Absolutely. <laughs> but the frustrating thing is they do elect him as war leader. And he points out several times, as war leader at a time of war, they should be following his instructions. They should mm. be doing what he tells them to do without question. And one of his biggest frustrations is that they elect him into this role, and yet every time they're challenging him over what to do. And that challenge is mostly coming from the Iron Fathers. Ortec Moore, being a black shield, is more inclined to do what he wants to do by himself anyway. And what we need to recognise is Ortec Moore's force is reasonably big. He's gathered quite a substantial group of the um, Tenth Legion around him as black as a black shield force. And even he's distrusted. Now, a, lo a lot of the other Iron Hand captains complain when Ortec Moore is there, don't they? Um, mm -hmm. Saying, yeah. that, you know, his tactics are, are so unlike the Iron Tenth. But what is interesting is that Medusin does have the full support for Raven Guard contingents and the Salamander contingents, the, the ones who were rescued from Isvan Five and the the Tenth Legion members who were rescued from Isvan Five are very very committed to Medusin because they've seen he brings results. They've seen under his leadership that he is a very very competent leader. And let's be yeah. honest. 
of all the loyalist commanders in the early stage of the heresy, Medusin is probably one of the most capable. Yes, he's not sitting. He's not sitting behind a, a you know a ruin storm building a new <laughs> empire, for example. Is he? He's out there fighting the enemy. He's out there fighting, and that's that's that when he comes into the story, especially in the in the short story Little Horus, which is the first time we in, uh, introduce him. He really has like drawn a drawn a defense line. He has uh, a stiffened imperial resistance. He's causing problems. So he does manage to convince them to 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 uh, convince all the, uh, the the commanders, all the Iron Fathers, um, and the others to join him on this against this counteroffensive, this counterstroke against uh, all of, uh, the Sons of Horus shipping, which would definitely damage the Sons of Horus if he succeeds. This will definitely do some damage to the uh, to the to the the War Masters offensive. So I was just supposed to. Should we talk about the the battle? Y- yeah. So. Um, I guess the basic plan is he wants to draw out uh, the Sons of Horus. Uh, so he's attacking with, I guess, this battle barge that doesn't even have any void shields, but is so heavily armored that like, it, it is oh, practically invincible. They give a specific name, don't they? Sorod. Ironclad. They, they, it, the type of vessel is an ironclad. Ah. So it's all physically armored, isn't it? There's no void shields in it at all, but the armor is so thick they can resist land strikes. So yeah, he drives this forward <laughs> and uh, eventually, yeah, a couple, uh, I guess, a Sons of Horus cruiser and two destroyers peel off from the flotilla and uh, Medusa's whole plan is to sort of carve, uh, carve out this flotilla, split it off into small groups and then pounce on each one and, and uh, utterly destroy them. So it seems to be going well at first, I guess, okay. Um, because he managed to damage. Finally, he managed to convince people to, uh, sorry, uh, Otic Moore, for example, he, he's not joining the attack at first, but he managed to get everybody sort of on board and, and get everybody to actually commit uh, to the assault, which goes fairly well. There's a boarding action, obviously, uh, <laughs> and uh, it's going okay till suddenly Q Admiral Akbar. It was a trap. It's, it's a, a trap. It's, it's a, a trap. trap. It, you know, they, they get spec signals all over the place, don't they? And then there's a massive flotilla just arrived in system. And so suddenly they're on the back foot. So while they're they're engaging in these attacks, a small ship appears. And this is where our two storylines start to blend. Yeah, I wonder where the, sh- the small ship could be. I mean, it's, it's a it Thunderhawk. A Thunderhawk doesn't contain warp drives. How is it out here? Seriously, yes. though, how is it out here? Do they explain it properly? Or is this because I feel like it's just kind of uh, they, they hand wave it away. It's just like, yeah, uh, Webway works weird. Yeah, so so uh, a, a Vulcan Centerhawk shows up in the middle of nowhere. Do they explain why outside of hand, wing, hand, hand waving away? I love the signal they use for this. The, 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 Vox, the Vox claim is we have the unbound flame. We have what does and that mean? The, and all the salamanders are like, what? Sorry, and they just stop everything to try to reclaim this vessel, and all the Iron Legion, uh, all, all the Iron Ten, for just like, what does that mean? What's the Unbound Flame? And it's the head salamander just says it's for Primark. Vulcan lives. Yeah, I know it's so cool. And then by then, Otic Moore, uh, everybody's kind of gotten into the combat, so they win this little engagement. But uh, they know that this this whole thing's been a trap, and they realize it a little bit uh, further. Is this, oh. This is more than a trap. They're actually like surrounding us on all available warp routes, but we'll come to that. So they won this little engagement, but it's very pyrrhic because they're kind of stuck here with all their forces. And 
so Vulcan is recovered by the Salamanders. The battle ends uh, as a Pyrrhic victory for uh, Medusin. Uh, they're getting surrounded on all sides, and Audic Moore just leaves. <laughs> yep. Yeah. He, he Where did he go? Just, <laughs> I don't know. He's gone. There's nothing worthwhile for him, so he bugs out. Um, so you still have a sizable Shattered Legion's force, uh, but they just uh, recovered possibly the greatest ally they could possibly have gotten. And so after the battle, Medusin is like, "Oh yeah, hey, you gotta come. You, you gotta come to this place. Uh, to, to to this, I guess, where the Salamanders are kind of hanging out, right?" Um, mm-hmm. It's like, "Do we have to come now?" It's like, "Yeah, it's kind of important." It's like, "All right." He's not even fully armored. He kind of shows up, and it's just like, "Who's this guy?" It's like, "Oh shit." Yeah, it's it's such a Vulcan good scene he's, he's called down to this hangar bay, isn't he? And he gets down there, the entire hangar bay is full of everyone, and he's kind of trying to shove his way through, and he's trying to, you know, half, half armoured, and he pushes his way through to the front, and there he is, half armoured, looking a complete mess after this battle, and there is a Primarch in front of him. So at, at a moment when you want to be looking your best, <laughs> he looks like the war leader of a shattered legion that he is. Oh, yeah. And yeah. Uh, confronted with a Primarch. And, and of I, course, his first instinct is to say, yo, this is awesome. Like, we got a Primarch now. We're definitely going to win. You're going to yeah, join us, not, right? It's not the political angle, which you think some, I mean, if it was Erebus in this position, he would think, brilliant. If I could get this guy on my team, that's going to be all the weight I need behind my commands. It's no, it, th- th- this, this is hope for our cause. Yeah, and I think that's one of his big failings is he doesn't think politically. Yeah, yeah, agreed. Yeah, he he's a fine commander, but poor, uh, I, I guess, legion master. Yeah, he's he's playing two dimensional chess against people who play three dimensional chess. Yeah, but yeah, so he he tells Vulcan, "This is awesome. You're gonna are you here to help us? Are you gonna with with you um, leading us? We'll be invincible." And then Vulcan was like, "Nah, I got, I got, I got some more important stuff to do, bro. I got stuff to do, dude. I got stuff to do, bro. Uh, yeah. I gotta, I gotta go to something." It's just like, "Are, are you kidding? Is this a joke? Like, really? <laughs> There's something more important than defeating the Sons of Horus?" It's like, "Yeah, yeah, I got a thing. I got a thing. I can't really explain what it is. I got, I got to go to Terra. How? Uh, I can't explain it. It's like, oh, this is helpful. This is great." <laughs> but he does agree to stay for a while, doesn't yeah. he? Well, at first, well, uh, he's he's ready to leave right away. Um, uh, uh, Vulcan is, and Medusin talks to him, and um, uh, uh, he, he he he's refusing to like uh, rejoin the fight. There's a more important mission, which of course there's a more important mission. Like it's it he has to be on the golden throne. Like we know that now, but um, he he has a calling. He has a destiny. Um, uh, but by this time, Medusin. And and Vulcan does agree to to come with Medusin um, to like meet the Iron Fathers and like uh, um, Vulcan sort of come on the side because you have this uh, you know a, a a meeting of all the Iron Fathers, all the commanders, and you know like one of those things with, with, with the Hollow List and this one they they say like Arctic War is gone. It's like okay, fine. Um, so they're chatting, and one of them lets slip <laughs> the. We, well, I'm, I'm sorry, we can't let you lead us. The, the Gorgon leads us, right? Yeah, the Gorgon speaks for us. Yeah, the, the Gorgon speaks for us now. It's like, come again? And you have Vulcan, like, tightening his fists and, like, 
like angrily in the back because they don't know Vulcan's there yet. But Vulcan is watching this whole thing. And Vulcan's like, wait, what? Come again. <laughs> uh, and this is where you get like one of the coolest parts of this whole book is, is when they're, they're summoned. I guess Medusa is summoned to meet with some of the Iron Fathers from some of the, uh, like the elder uh, clans. Yeah, because they're concerned this is becoming a uh, start to become a private war between Mar and yeah. Medusa, aren't they? Because certainly in that ambush with that private signal that it was sent through, it's becoming very clear that there is more than just recovering the legion. There is a private enmity between the two. So he's brought before this, and, and, and Vulcan shows up and they're like, uh, and, and this one they say, it's like, oh, the Gorgon lives. And then Vulcan shows up. It's like, this is not Vulcan because Vulcan's dead. It's like, you fucking hypocrites. <laughs> and then they eventually point out, it's like, well, if Vulcan is alive, then you can believe that the Gorgon's alive. It's like, how is the Gorgon alive? What the hell is going on here? We saw his head get cut off. Well, we saw Vulcan get obliterated, which you got to admit is a fair point. Yeah, the, the, they're doubtful, aren't they, about Vulcan? And you, you just have this shadowy figure in the background. And so just to be allowed to move any further, Vulcan has to like surrender his, his hammer. Uh, so it's taken away. It takes two breachers. It takes two breachers to lift the hammer. <laughs> I love that. It, it's so much like the um, MCU, how trying to carry Thor's hammer. <laughs> oh, yeah. And it becomes even more in a second. <laughs> oh, absolutely. You can see Nick Kimes leaning heavily on certain things here, can't you? Oh, yeah. Yeah, I'm just glad he didn't say it's also a hammer, too. Uh, like in the, uh, I think it was the first Salamander's book when he's being tortured by Conrad Kurz. Oh, that's right. Oh, yeah, yeah that's right. It's, like it's such a yeah, it's such an MCU line. It's, it's not only a transponder, you know, it is as well. What? It's a hammer too. Like, oh. They're super well defended. They have um, like sentry guns pointing at Vulcan, which is just kind of rude. But I, I, I get their suspicion. Um, and so eventually, they bring Medusa into this room, and there's like a. I guess a, a shadowy figure on a throne. And it's like the Gorgon lives. Look, he's right there. And Vulcan loses. Like I saw him die. Like I saw, I saw my brother die. Um, but at the same time, Vulcan does have this, this thought in his head. It's like, well, I guess if I'm a perpetual, maybe, maybe the Gorgon's a perpetual too. Yeah. There's, there's a bit of doubt, isn't there? It's, especially when one finger is raised. Yeah. They keep the asking court. questions and he kind of like f- fidgets for, for a second with yeah. his finger. Like, see, see, he supports our point of view. The finger moved. And it's the iron finger too. It's the, uh, from his iron hand. So that's how he's being giving commands. Um, and, and so eventually like Vulcan, uh, what does Vulcan do at this point? This is when he summons his hammer. <laughs> I love that. Yeah, he he, he MCs he MCU's his his hammer into his hand and charges forth and like takes the I guess the uh the the cloak off of whatever this thing on the throne is and he realizes that it really is the remains of Ferris Menace. Well, when when we say the remains it's bits of ferris manus which yeah, are basically bits of ribs and bits of skeleton <laughs> yeah so used glued. into a like a, into like this robo body yeah way it, more machine than man like way more like 99.5 percent do you remember robocop 2 where they were trying to make like an improved ed 209 or improved robocop and they kept having uh rejections um and yes. then they found a, a, a uh, like a drug dealer and stuck him in it 
that's what I think of when I think of this scene. Like it's just bits of Ferris Manus um, stuck in that machine, fueled by God knows what. Yeah, it's it, it's hilarious. This is like, yeah, this is some horror stuff. And eventually, the, like I think he points it out that this is the Gorgon Golem. They essentially make a golem, um, and and somehow through these, what what did you call it? Cyber uh, necromancy. Yeah. There, are, yeah, there is a proper name for it, but I can't remember what it is at the moment. But yeah, they, they managed to bring the Gor- they managed to bring the Gorgon back to life. It's like, look, we're we're led by the Gorgon again. This is awesome. And like Volca's like, this is an abomination, and I'm gonna hammer it into the dust. In fact, he only does it in one hit. Yeah. So he 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 absolutely obliterates this automata. Oh, he does in it twice. One he, hit. He, he, obliterates, he obliterates it, like smashes to pieces, and then specifically, like I can just imagine, like almost vindictively smashes the iron hand. Yeah, and it shatters into a million pieces, and that's it. Ferris Manus, there's nothing left for you to bring him back with. But he also makes his displeasure with the Iron Fathers very clear, doesn't he? I mean, he grabs one of them by the throat. So, yeah. Oh, what's the phrase he uses? An insult. An Earthsat's version of my brother, of your father, has the Iron Tent sunk so low. Just an <laughs> utter are, abomination. You are, for, you are fortunate, Iron Father, that I have a forgiving nature. <laughs> oh, so brutal. So, Can you imagine if it being the Lion who had come across it? Oh, they'd all be dead. They would all be dead. <laughs> we try and give it weaponry. Heads, yeah, they'd all have their heads punched off. There would be no more Shattered Legions. They would all be annihilated. Um, so yeah, they are lucky that that it was Vulcan that found them. I can't imagine any of the other Primarchs being so generous for them literally using necromancy to, to raise their brother from the dead. All it can do is twitch his fingers. This is just an uh, utter abomination what they did. And they kind of all realized at that point, they kind of all realized, ooh, guys, yeah. I think we went too far. Maybe step too far. There was a line ooh. and even we crossed it. Yeah. yeah, I see it now. <laughs> I see it now. So and fundamentally what this does, it, it does do what Medusa yeah. wants, doesn't it? It unites the Legion behind it. Yeah, it turns out that... The, uh, there's a great passage in this book where they talk about uh, the Iron Hands, that how much they were affected. Come back, coming back to what Miles um, so well put earlier, um, they were heavily affected by losing their father, but they did not admit it. There's something about that stoicism of the Iron Hands. They just never, they never grieved. They never got, they never understood just how badly the loss of their father affected them. And this is the, the result of that, is that they tried yeah, to bring him weird. back to life. Yeah, it's like he was killed. Like he was never dead. We've still got him. See, yeah, yeah. and he's just kind of like glued him together with duct tape and this this twitching finger thing that they're revering. Yeah, it's a complete. I mean, it, it's one of these things in like a personality, right? That you can either bend and flex with situations when you put under pre- pressure, but the strongest or the outwardly strongest people tend to be when they snap, they're very brittle. You bend or you snap. In this case, these iron hands have completely and utterly snapped. <laughs> a complete just separation from reality. Yeah, it's uh, it, this really changes everything, though, because 
their fa- they have to accept their father's uh, gone now. And, and and smashing the iron hand itself, the symbolism of Vulcan of all people smashing the iron hand into shards where they can never be put back together. That frees the legion of being trapped under sort of the shadow of Ferris Manus of their, 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 their father. And now it, it makes it possible for them to be reforged, if you will, <laughs> into something new, which is the iron hands that we have now under Medusa for now. And that's probably a good place to leave this section, isn't it? And that, that will then lead very nicely into a final section of the book. And the betrayals that take place in that section. Just lots of betrayals in this book. Just, just lots of it. I completely agree. I think it's a great place to leave it. So that was it for Tales of Heresy for today. We'll be right back for two-week copy challenge. All right, welcome back to Two Week Hobby Challenge. There will be no Two Week Hobby Challenge today. Um, as everybody knows, we're in a transitional period. The whole hobby's in a transitional uh, period uh, as we're moving into V2, 2.0, whatever you want to call it, second edition heresy. Um, and uh, the show's going to change as well. We've got a lot of comments. We, we, we've sought comments from our listeners recently about uh, how to improve the show. The biggest things that have come back has been uh, the, the regularity of release and also length. A lot of people like the like the four-hour shows, four, five, four or five-hour shows we sometimes do. Um, but everybody we've asked, like you want one long-ass show a month or uh, a, um, a two-hour show every two weeks, everybody's kind of agreed. So we're, we're looking at, we've been looking at ways to um, improve that. And one of the things that we want to do is, uh, one of the things that we realize uh, takes up a lot of time um, is to be copy challenge. So, and, but it's still something that's so important for the show and that we enjoy so very much and allows us such uh, great interaction with the community. We're obviously not dropping it. So from now on, two-week copy challenge is um, uh, mainly going to be um, us busting each other's balls because that's not going anywhere. Uh, I need someone to tell me that I failed or else I will get nothing done or at least threaten me with failure. No, the first one was actually correct. For uh, uh, the, the listeners, uh, two-week copy challenge will be mainly on our uh, Facebook page. If you're interested, if you want a little bit of extra motivation or, or the threat of the box of shame, uh, go onto our Facebook page. Uh, every, t- every second Saturday, uh, Darren kindly puts up a post inviting everybody's submissions for the two-week copy challenge and, and let us know how, how you're doing. And of course, we're not going to be completely ignoring the original format of talking about uh, our, our listeners' uh, progress on the show. But now we'll be, we'll be highlighting uh, some we'll be highlighting a few listeners every, every episode instead of going through every single one, which has the, the advantage of also allowing us to go in a little bit more depth. Yeah. I, I think, think it's so. important. To, uh, yeah. I was going to say, I think it's important to pick out that when we're picking out highlights, it doesn't necessarily mean the best painted that could be interesting conversions that caught our attention or really cool projects or something that's very, very different. Uh, dog and cat photos is always a bonus. Um, <laughs> but yeah, let's point out. It's not a, competition of yes. who's produced the best yeah. attempt of base painted to grab our attention it's the, the hobby aspect that's caught our attention so we're it's a matter for discussion conversion. like so, something interesting I, I like the idea like particular uh like uh third-party models we didn't know existed or something like that things that could actually be a little bit more valuable to discuss in perhaps um um it, it, uh, to, to highlight um uh, during during the segment i think this is a really positive change uh, we make into this. Yeah, I think it'll it'll make the show a little bit tighter. It'll make the release a little bit quicker, and most importantly, we're still going to maintain that connection we have with our listeners. And so, please, if you haven't done so already, 
uh, jump on the uh, Age of Darkness uh, Facebook page and uh, let us know uh, how you're doing, like what, you, what you're up to, what your projects are. All right, to end the show today, I would like to play, uh, to continue our long series on all this 40K metal that we keep finding. This one is by Nacruel from their album Forces of Chaos, uh, which is sort of a best of album that they, re- that they, re- that they did recently, uh, which uh, is sort of a, uh, uh, I guess, a compilation or a, a, a 10th anniversary best of uh, like remixes of their best songs. And this song will be, I'm going to be playing the song Plague Lord um, from uh, Nor- uh, No Cruel. Go check them out. Excellent 40K metal. So what are we doing in the next episode? Darren, what do we have in the Strategium slash Pushing Plastic? Because we haven't decided what we're going to name the segment yet. I think we are sticking with Strategium now. I think that's been the overriding consensus. Um, I think we're looking at some of the key rules changes in the new rules. We started off talking about our own armies. And I think what we're moving on to now is some of the significant rules changes, which will link back to this one with things like reactions, but there'll also be other elements in there as well. Excellent. And in painting black and other colors. Oh, gosh. Uh, TBD. TBD. In, yeah, TBD. It's in the group chat. I just can't remember what, what we've got planned for it. TBD. TBD. Yes. Uh, it's fine. Uh, and in Tales of Heresy, we will be concluding our series on about Old Earth. And uh, yeah, some wild stuff that happens as the salamanders make their way. Not the salamanders. Vulcan and his retinue make their way to Terra. So this was episode 127. 127, and we're still like debating like with a name of segments. <laughs> this was episode 127. And as usual, thanks for listening. 